does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So here's the thing on a Monday, and it's gorgeous outside, is it not? I mean, you got NFL Combine Week is upon us. You've got Purdue once again flexing its muscles and back essentially is the number one power-ranked team, number one overall seed in the tournament. You've got the Pacers playing the Raptors at home tonight and coming off a big win. And yet, we should almost be bitter based on the fact that now we're just having to constantly resort towards having to focus on the negative. Because I get the fact that if you live in Indianapolis and you live in central Indiana and you listen to sports talk radio, you've got to get tired of hearing about IU basketball because they suck. It's still what people are passionate about. And almost the passion is increased because they're not very good and because people and it literally is like a mystery at this point it's like you know it's like a dan brown novel of like i think that's the guy's name of just constant like walking into closed and locked doors and wondering what in the heck is going on and literally no matter how many times they change things you keep coming back to the same answer and we've gone over that a billion times but in the last hour, just when I thought to myself, Jimmy, just when I thought to myself, there's plenty to talk about today. The weather's starting to turn a little bit for the better. There's a lot of spring in the step. There's spring in the air. Got a short sleeve shirt and shorts on today, you do. And just when I'm excited about all of that, Mike Woodson comes out and again just says something so incredibly dumb. And you're like, well, here we are. And I did. Th- this isn't how I was going to start things today, but I- I'm going to get right into it. And there's a lot to be excited about today. There's a lot to be happy about, and, and we'll get to that over the course of the show. My name is Jay Quarry, by the way. Jimmy Cook, you just heard his voice. Eddie Garrison here as well. Um, I'm back from Las Vegas. Went and saw you two in the Sphere. It was very, very cool. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit over the course of the show. But, Jimmy, let's begin with the positives, okay? And and in quick order, quick fashion here, I guess, okay? Over the course of the weekend. Uh, Pacers, nice win for the Pacers, right? Yes. They had a point in that game in the fourth quarter where it looked like it might slip away against a good Mavericks team. They're able to turn the corner. Miles Turner has 33. Great win for the Pacers, yes. And Miles Turner was sensational over the Dallas Mavericks, obviously, right? Yep. Um, Back at it tonight, Toronto Raptors. So, quick turnaround. And you've got to see how you respond in that form. Um, Other news over the course of the weekend. Purdue. Good news for Purdue, right? Yeah, I mean, it's another one of those games for the Boilermakers against inferior competition because, yes, they're at that point in the Big Ten. and Yes, Michigan's bad. But Michigan hung around a lot in that game. And, Jake, you mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Were the Boilermakers playing with fire with how they had all these close games? And, again, just three losses, but you wondered – was a struggle of turnovers and three-point percentage going to rear its ugly head, and they're such a good team. They did enough throughout that, even though it got a little interesting late, 
to have another win underneath their belt. And at least from my chair, no real alarm bells with Purdue right now. They've responded well since their last loss a couple of games ago. Uh, court storming. Been done for 55 years, 100 years, 125 years. But now you're starting to get players that are making collisions with people on the court, even though I, I have to admit, I'm not excusing by any stretch of the imagination those that storm the court and the jeopardy that puts players in. It looked to me like in the last two cases, the player kind of were looking for the court stormer. I would agree. But nonetheless, uh, now all of a sudden, everybody's all up in arms because somebody from Duke got, I mean, I'm not making light of an injury, but somebody from Duke got their knee twisted, right? Additionally, and I don't know whose obligation and on, like, it's on. Like at the end of the day, security, yes, that needs to be more stepped up, I guess. And maybe you should be holding them back a little bit more. But again, it's six security personnel versus, you know, 150 students. Who's winning that battle? It's going to be the students. That said, like, I thought Filipowski was very, what's the word, careful with the amount of time he took to get off the floor. Like, I, I'm not saying there should be boxing rules, protect yourself at all times, but, like, there was not a lot of gusto right. to get off I the court. Agree with that. Again, I'm not saying I'm blaming Filipowski, clearly. I'm not saying that a couple, what, last month I'm blaming Caitlin Clark, but, like, it, you're aware of it at this point. Let's let's move it a little bit, just a tad, or go reflect off in the corner if you're trying to avoid the middle of the floor where all masses of humanity are coming at you. And then... The other story that came about on Friday night, and we're going to get to Indiana Mike Woodson here in just a second, because I've got, we'll both have some comments about Woodson and the state of Indiana. Um, the NIL story, and we're going to talk about this coming up midway through today's show with somebody who teaches NIL branding at Indiana University. If I understand this correctly, and let me tell you, I don't have a law degree. I am not in any way, shape, or form what one would deem to be an intellect. However, I'm going to have to learn about it potentially by tomorrow because I call at 5.30 today to find out whether or not I have jury duty tomorrow. So you guys might be in here with, I think Derek's on standby. He's hanging around. Matter of fact, he's camped outside in the hallway, which is uncomfortable. How do you feel about that? Because I'm like, just as much as I look forward to coming to work every day, having Derek Schultz in here wouldn't be a negative for me. Are you going to warn us? Like, hey, be careful. We've all worked with him individually, but you worked with him longer than Eddie and I combined. I um, I, I I've known Derek long enough to know that he's <laughs> he's used to having to wait to see what my move is before he can figure out where things are. Right? Can I put in a hoagies and hops request from him? Is that possible? Oh like, yeah, no, he'll that, bring hoagies nice. and hops in nice. and some you know chili water. You, you sure. got it right. Sure. Um, so I find that out tomorrow. As I understand it, and I'm going to put this in very layman terms. NIL means name, image, and likeness. The NIL ruling by the Supreme Court a few years ago was initially spearheaded by Ed O'Bannon, who was a power forward for UCLA when they won the national championship in 1995. And when Ed O'Bannon realized that video game makers were selling video games that had the likeness of Ed O'Bannon on it, he filed a lawsuit claiming that he should be able to profit based on his name, his image, or his likeness. And that the NCAA should not be able to say, no, you were an amateur, thus you were not eligible to receive any of this money. It was a very long, drawn-out court case that ultimately, I believe, went to the Supreme Court that ruled on behalf of Ed O'Bannon and said, yes, you are entitled to money for that. That opened the door for athletes 
to be able to collect money if it was related to their name, image, and likeness, and the NCAA had to basically sit back and allow that to happen. But the rule was that you were allowed that money once you signed with a university um, or maybe, you know, like in the case of Khalil Ware, if I'm not mistaken, I think what, what was happening was players were saying, I want NIL money from your school, but I want X amount up front just to like look at your school. As I understand it, my understanding is vague at best. But in the state of Tennessee and the state of Virginia, I believe it was, athletes filed suit against the NCAA saying there should be no restriction on this. There should be no limitation. And I basically am a free agent representative marketing the brand that is me. And that ruling came out Friday that, in fact, they are correct. And thus, college basketball now is indeed 100% free agency and a player's value is the market value. So if you are the number one point guard in America and you want to say, hey, if you want me to come on a recruiting visit to your school, then you've got to get your local car dealership to give me 50 grand. The NCAA cannot jurisdict whether or not that is fair or unfair, and they cannot limit because the NCAA's ultimate responsibility is to create a fair and balanced opportunity for all of its institutions to compete. So the NCAA was trying to say, when it comes to securing a player services, we want to make sure that Austin P and Texas Austin have the exact same opportunity. And now the ruling is essentially saying, no, that's not the case. It is a free market enterprise. And if Austin P can't afford a $75,000 visit stipulating fee for a point guard and the University of Texas at Austin is, then guess what? Advantage University of Texas Austin. Capitalism 101. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a thought, really, an opinion either way. I mean, I get it. It's the United States of America. I totally understand it. And the notion that these are like amateur athletes, and I get it. You get paid for your your education and all of that. But that's an at some point, once the water is coming out of the fire hose, it's awfully hard to sit there and continue sipping off of it like you did previously. So we're going to get somebody to kind of explain in more in-depth what this may mean for the future of college athletics coming up at 1.30 today. But let's get to what happened over the weekend again with Indiana. Penn State is not good. Nebraska's okay, but Nebraska by reputation and brand is not one that wets your whistle. Northwestern, same thing as Nebraska. Rinse and repeat what I just said. Indiana is at the point now where their season is completely gone. They are circling the drain. They may well lose out for the remainder of the season. And they are on a horrific losing skid where there are two things, I think, that can happen to a team. The first one is permitted, if you will, or accepted, I think, by fan base. And that is that Teams struggle and they get into like losing skids and things just don't go their way. Or they're on a four-game losing skid because they're playing like the four best teams in college basketball in a grueling gauntlet schedule. The cardinal sin for Indiana are three things. Three. 
Three things. Three cardinal sins of college basketball. I don't care whether you're Indiana, you're Oregon, you're Texas, I don't care who it is. There are three cardinal sins in college basketball. The first cardinal sin. Fouling a three-point shooter at the end of a game. Aside from that. <laughs> the Although, if it's a three-point shooter and well, you're up three in the... the, the cardinal sin is the four-point play. I should clarify right, right. that. But yeah, sorry. Go on. The three cardinal sins, okay? The first is losing to teams that your fan base has become accustomed to beating. Teams that your fans say... That at the beginning of the year, you look at the schedule and you go, yeah, okay, there, there's a win. I'm not saying this is the case in 2024, but the reality is this. Indiana is a university and a fan base that is stuck in living and resting on laurels and tradition. And part of those laurels and tradition are placing the other schools in the same categories with which you have always felt historically and tradition-based are where each slot each school goes into. And forever, forever, the two-step of going to Northwestern and Wisconsin were an automatic victory. Automatic victory. It was a given when you had Northwestern on the schedule. There's a win. And when they came into the Big Ten because they're not part of the, you know, quote-unquote old-school Big Ten, Nebraska and Penn State, who were brought to the Big Ten for football purposes, same thing. Those are wins. And I know Penn State's had some good years. And Nebraska, Fred Hoiberg's a good coach, and they, you know, I thought Miles did a nice job with them. But nonetheless, the, the Indiana's typical the brand States, of Indiana yes. is that those are wins. The Indiana's, the Michigan States, the Michigans, the Purdue's. Look at the Penn States, the Nebraskas, the Northwesterns, and say W. Yes. Correct. Cardinal sin number one: losing those games that are supposed to be absolute wins. Okay. Cardinal sin number two: apathy. People that live in Indiana, snowy, cold, winter Indiana, for a long time in this town, we have rested on the Indianapolis 500 in the spring, Pacers basketball when they're playing in the playoffs, also in the spring, and the Indianapolis Colts and trying to make runs that that go into, hopefully, the holiday season. But that first trimester of this of the calendar year we rest on college basketball and for indiana fans it kills them to see purdue being able to buy into that mostly because indiana fans don't want to be apathetic about indiana basketball they don't they don't want to not care but more and more they don't and part of the reason they don't is because they see a roster of guys that look like they don't care McKenzie and Baco had a possession in that game at Penn State defensively that was the most lackluster, ridiculous, laissez-faire, I could not care less. Who am I playing for again? I forget which school I transferred to attitude that was inexcusable. Did not care. Apathy. You're out there getting beat by Penn State by double digits. Penn State getting swept for the year by Penn State, and you don't care. First time is 0-9. And... If the players don't care, the fans don't care. And if the fans don't care, the media shouldn't care. But we care because fans don't care, which makes us care because that means truly they actually kind of do care. Total, like, losing the fan base is cardinal sin number two. And then there's cardinal sin number three, and this is Indiana's ultimate sin. 
Oh, Indiana's colors are no longer cream and crimson. We will fight for the cream and crimson. No. You're talking now, about the pure now jerseys? it's the cream and cardinal. Ah. Because Indiana's defined by cardinal sin. Cardinal sin number three is the biggest of all that the fan base, I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you are a parent, you're a teacher, you're a student, you're a broadcaster, you're an engineer, you're a street cleaner, I don't care who it is. The one thing that all of us want in life doesn't mean that we necessarily adhere to it ourselves every day, but the one thing that we want from those around us, from our significant others, from our coworkers, from our bosses, from our educators, the one thing we want is accountability. Indiana has none of it. None of it. The only accounting going on in Indiana right now is at the Kelly School of Business. Indiana University and their basketball program has zero accountability. None. Because let me play for you what Mike Woodson said earlier today. Let me play for you what Mike Woodson said earlier today, and we're going to play it like three times and break it down because this is the biggest walking contradiction of all time. Mike Woodson. Shall we break out the elixir? We don't even need the elixir for this, Eddie. We don't even need the elixir for this because it needs no interpretation because it's so clear. Here's Mike Woodson earlier today when asked about who's ultimately responsible for this total train wreck of a season in Bloomington for IU basketball. Sometimes coaches don't want to take the blame and they want to put it all on the players. I'm not that type of coach. Even though I don't miss (laughs) jump shots, wide open shots, and don't miss free throws, I'm still a big part of it. And, you know, I take a lot of responsibility. So all I can do right now is continue to work with my team and try to put them in the best position possible to be successful and Hopefully they'll come through for us. Hopefully they'll come through for us. I'm going to pretend that I'm accountable. But guess what? Let me list for you the reasons why we're not performing well. And then I'm going to passive-aggressively imply to you that I actually have nothing to do with any of them. And then at the end, let me passively-aggressively pawn all responsibility for our future four games, all of which everybody's now expecting us to lose. Wisconsin, Maryland, Minnesota, Michigan State. I've already set the table that if we lose those games, it's not on me because it's it wasn't up to me to come through. I just got done telling you guys, play that again, Eddie. Play this crap, this total crap. Play it again right now. Sometimes coaches don't want to take the blame. Okay. They want to put it all on the players. I'm not that type of coach. Cool. Okay. Even though I don't miss <laughs> jump shots, wide open shots, and – Don't miss free throws. I'm still a big part of it, and, you know, I take a lot of responsibility. So all I can do right now is continue to work with my team and try to put them in the best position possible to be successful, and hopefully they'll come through for us. Okay, right there, Mike Woodson just completely subliminally distributed blame to everyone off of himself while trying to make himself look accountable. And in fact, what he just did was exactly what the fan base sees as Cardinal sin number three. Zero. Capital Z, capital E, capital R, capital O. Zero accountability. I'd like, I'm going to tell you there are other people that say that they 
pawn stuff over on their players. I don't do that. I don't do that even though I don't miss shots, <laughs> miss three-pointers, turn the ball over. I put my guys in position, and then it's up to them to deliver for me. And hopefully they'll do that. What? Here's the thing. I don't know what Mike Woodson's favorite soft drink is, but I'll bet it's not Diet Coke. You know why? Why is that? Because he drinks Coke zero. Because that's his level of accountability in that program. Zero. And the biggest cardinal sin of all, those three cardinal sins wrap into cardinal sin number one. The biggest of all is that in Indiana now, unfortunately, is at a point of no return. They just are. They're at a point of no return. Fans have teetered and teetered and teetered, and at this point, I think there are fans that would rather see Indiana lose out so that the message is finally sent that they have to make a change at the top than there are fans that want to see them try to salvage something, get into the Big Ten tournament, stay over 500, get beaten in the Big, Turn- Big Ten tournament, go home, see who transfers, come back, and try and, and run it all over again. Indiana's biggest problem right now is that people are totally checked out, and that includes their roster. And by all account, it appears as though it includes people within the program. People are checked out. And you can't come back from that. It is it is crossed over. And look, I don't know Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson, for all by all account, is exactly what you would want. I, I get it. I get why he was brought in. He's an Indianapolis product. He's an Indianapolis public school product. I love that. He's from Broderpool. I love that. He was a fabulous player at Indiana. Not his fault that he was in an era sandwiched in between, obviously, an an undefeated season and then another national championship. But Mike Woodson himself should know. When Mike Woodson sits back and realizes that the chairman of the Board of Trustees is Quinn Buckner, Mike Woodson was a better player than Quinn Buckner. But Quinn Buckner was a point guard leader on an undefeated national championship season. When Mike Woodson sits back and looks over to his right and sees Calbert Chaney, Calbert Chaney was a fantastic player, one of the best ever. Mike Woodson was probably as good a pure natural scorer in his era as Calbert Chaney, but Chaney played on teams that went to Elite Eights and were denied once by an official and once by an injury, perhaps, national championships. And Mike Woodson played in an era, at kind of at no fault of his, where it was transitional and there wasn't necessarily the elite-level talent around. There were some issues that took place you know, on the teams that he was on. But Woodson, of all people, should know what happens when there is a small era where the fans kind of get checked out a little bit. Because that alone has caused people to forget what a great player he was. He was a great player, but he was a great player on mediocre teams, and so it gets lost in the lore. Of all people, he should understand what happens when teams underperform or eras underperform. And again, I don't know him personally. I have no reason to believe he's anything other than a a good person. I know people who know him well. I know people who've worked with him very closely. I know people who endorsed him as the head coach. Made phone calls for him. People that I like and trust and respect a great deal. 
So I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that he's clueless. But in this regard, he's clueless and he is absolutely holding no one accountable, notably himself. He dressed that as accountability, but absolutely missed the boat on that. And that right there, that entire soundbite encapsulates everything that's wrong with Indiana basketball because it's window dressing, it's BS, and it's totally transparent. Like, I mean, Jimmy, can you imagine if 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 all of a sudden, like, this radio program, which is not the case, but if it was totally underperforming in all metrics and areas, if I came on and said, listen, I, you know, I'm responsible for this. My name's in the title of the show. Now, I'm not the one that's editing audio, and I'm not the one that's producing, and I'm not the one that's interjecting, and I'm not the one that's selling it, and I'm not the one that's that's booking but but ultimately I'm, what i can't control what happens when my co-host turns on the mic right right can you imagine <laughs> it's just it's a tough look and whispers are starting to happen and to your point about him being such a like a pinnacle figure in iu basketball history people are going to if this continues another year and they lose out like i think they're going to do you're going to start having a blurred image at least from the modern indiana fan of the player versus the coach because if the whispers are already starting in year two and a half, nearing the completion of year three, and this goes to a fourth year without any clear guard help or guard salvation on the horizon, if he's still here next season, 2024-2025 is going to be a sad day in IU basketball history, at least if in he's terms here, of the way it's perceived. If Mike Woodson's there next year, they got to win 25 games, right? they got to be right back up towards the top or else people are going to be like, look, there's, there's just no turning yeah. back now, right? No turning back. I'm sure Don Fisher is thrilled to be joining this conversation. No doubt. Uh, he joins us next. Again, big show lined up. Yes, I will talk about um, at some point, kind of address the sphere and my Las Vegas question last night. I've been thinking about this ever since I saw the tweet. Like four, I, I mean, literally, like I was on a flight for three hours and people were guessing the entire time. So my question was this. I'll throw it out right now and you can continue to guess at Jake Query on X, Twitter, whatever. I went into the forum shops on the Strip in Las Vegas, went into a major sports merchandising store, asked to see the manager. Manager comes out. I said, look, you are in Vegas. The American masses are constantly going past. Here's what I want to know. Tell me the Major League Baseball team, the NFL team, and the NBA team, one of each, one of each league, that has the fewest resonance with you, the one that the fewest people ask about, look for, purchase talk about in your store and he goes right now i can tell you right now what it is no doubt and he gave me one team for each league and i threw last night on x twitter if anybody can tell me all three i will buy you the hat of your choice of one of those three teams like nine people have come up with two of the three no one no one guessed all three not one but i'll reveal the answer later today don fisher next Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Now, as I've mentioned several times before, Don Fisher's a Hall of Fame broadcaster. The legend. 
and a staple within the Indiana sports landscape. So that's why I wanted to get all of my vent out of the way first. So I got so like when we were on vacation, Shannon, every morning I have to get her coffee. I have to get her a venti coffee, right? I have to get the venti sure. to start the morning. I had to get my vent to start the show so that with Don we can have a rational, calm conversation because that's what he obviously merits and deserves. So it's so good I've, of you. Yeah. Serenity now, right? Well done. Don Fisher joins us on the program. Um Don, I'll begin with this. I mean, obviously we know that that there is huge disappointment amongst fans with this Indiana basketball team. And I know we've talked about just the frustration because you can see the talent, but just in the fact that they have not gelled together. But you've watched a lot of teams, and the thing that I always worry about is that apathy is going to set in with the players themselves and that they are going to kind of fall victim just in their body language to feeling the pressures of when things are not going well. Have you seen that at all versus, say, the middle of the beginning of the season with this particular group? Well, I don't. Here's the one thing I would tell you, Jake, and and there is definitely frustration. There's no doubt about that. You can see it in the players, uh, how they walk after a ball game and head to the the buses and and get off the planes and so on. Uh, You can see that there's frustration there, that they're not playing up to their capabilities at this point. They're struggling with confidence. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure it's, you know, the, the longer this goes on uh, and that they don't get a win, uh, it's just going to continue to build. So that that's an area, there's no doubt. The frustration that we know that the fan base is having right now, I don't think there's any doubt that the coaches and the players themselves are feeling it all. And it, it, it manifests itself. And, and I don't know how you get out of that. But that is an area that Indiana is going to have to concern themselves with, especially here uh, at the end of the season. They have four games left on the schedule. Uh, They need wins in all four of those games. Uh, Is that possible? It's possible. Is it likely? Not if they continue to struggle like they have here in the last several ballgames. Like I said, five at home this year, uh, a couple here of late. That really brings uh, to the forefront uh, the, the problems that this team is having. And Don, I, I, I guess the thing that worries me, and I want you to speak on this and tell me if it's way off base, but at this point where they are, when you consider both the expectation going into the season and just the bar of Indiana, albeit maybe even an unfair bar at this point, but the bar of Indiana in general, I look at it and I think to myself, even if they were to say win out, I, what do they gain from that? And I know that that sounds ridiculous, but in other words, like, can anything really be salvaged already, or are we too far gone at this point? Well, I can't answer that question because uh, right now they still have four games to go and, and get my. I, I'm not going to get ahead of myself in regard to, to what this team is going to put, how they're going to perform. There's no way to judge that until they get out there and do it. Uh, the biggest. The biggest struggle right now, I in my mind, and why they haven't been able to win some ball games is at the defensive end. They're giving up way too many points in most of these losses now. They're getting other teams are getting up into the eighties, uh, which means if you're going to beat somebody now, you've got to get in the eighties too. And Indiana's not capable of doing that because of the three point shot. They just don't shoot the three point shot well enough. So with the difference right now from my standpoint of why they're in this slump that they're in is at the defensive end. They've given up way too many three-point shots. Obviously, some of these teams get hot. 
you know, Tominaga is a perfect example of that. Uh, he torched Indiana in the first half of the ball game uh, recently, and without question, it was a difference in the contest. They've got to start getting. They've got to start playing better defense. There's no question in my mind that that's right now where this team lies. And if they don't, they're going to have no success at the end of the season. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, let's take the first couple of seasons of Tom Crean out of the equation because the program itself is obviously recovering from the violations set after the Calvin Sampson era and what Crean had to build from the ground up. Let's just focus on his tenure, Archie Miller's tenure, and then what's happening right now with Coach Woodson. This stretch, when they hired Mike, I didn't think it was possible for there to still be flavors of apathy around the fan base from an IU team with him at the helm, and you've been around longer than any of us covering this game. How does this feel and rank? Does it feel similar to those bad stretches underneath Miller and Crean? I, I don't know. I, I guess it does. I mean, anytime you lose and you're losing big at the end of a season, uh, it, it feels like it feels terrible. I mean, it feels terrible for the fans. It feels terrible for the players, uh, for the coaching staff as well. I mean, nobody likes going through this. Uh, the question is, how do you get out of it? Um, and, yeah, Indiana basketball has not performed anywhere near what it was in the Bob Knight era. It's just that simple. Perhaps uh, the Kelvin Sampson two years were pretty impressive when you considered what they were able to do bouncing out of the Mike Davis era. But at the same time, it didn't continue. And, of course, when Crean came in, he was left with a roster of nothing, uh, basically walk-on guys, and had to rebuild it. Um, so not, then you're going through the process of, of hoping that this team can build off of what they did the first year, which was six wins, and they got 10 the second and then 12 the third. And from that point forward, it started to build, and it was obviously very good for a couple of years. And it wasn't bad even toward the end of Tom Crean's uh, uh, tenure, but his his next to the last year he was there, he won a Big Ten championship. Um, and then it went through a, a really bad a season the following year, and of course he gets let go. And then Archie comes in, and everybody was high on Archie, thought he would get the job done. He didn't. And now we got Mike Woodson, and he's obviously having a tough third season at Indiana because he was able to get them to the NCAA tournament twice. But is Indiana basketball back to where it used to be? Not even close. And obviously that's the, the frustration, I think, with the fan base right now that they thought this would continue to build this year, and it has not. Don, has in your conversations with Mike Woodson, you know, like in post-game interviews and things like that, and obviously in your weekly show, has Mike Woodson addressed it all or or discussed the learning curve, if you will, and you and I have touched on this a little bit in these conversations, but just between the, the subtle differences between the college game and the way it's coached or prepared and the NBA game, do you think that that learning curve was steeper than he anticipated? I can't answer that question. You'd have to ask him, Jake. Um, I'm not asking that. I mean, I think Mike is a guy that is very routine-oriented. In other words, he goes at it every week. I mean, they practice hard. Uh, they work on the things that they need to work on. I think he, I think he does what every good coach does. Uh, he tries to get his ball club to play its best basketball. That's not happening right now. And how do you dig your way out of that at this juncture? And I, I'm not a coach, so I can't answer it. All I can tell you is that I think confidence and frustration are two things that this ball club is dealing with right now. And when I see those guys go out on the floor and start playing – 
I don't see quit. I don't see it's like they've just quit out there. They're not playing hard. I think they do play hard. Um, and they, they had a close ball game with Penn State. But they're not finding ways to win these games now. And that leads into all these other thinking processes that we've got going on right now about the negative of Indiana basketball. And until they win a ball game, it's not going to change. Don Fisher is our guest, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers in his 51st season. 51st, right, Don, or is this 52? No, this is 51 for me. 51, and, okay. <laughs> and trust me, it's not the best season that I've been a part of football or basketball. <laughs> it feels like 51 years in one, right, it's at times? Uh, kind of, yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. Okay. It's a little frustrating for the broadcaster, too. <laughs> so with that, Don, I told you this that last week I promised we'd do this. For fans, as much as just for our own group you know, therapy here, um, we're going to focus on the positive for a second. I want you to tell me, because I don't know that I've ever asked you this, in your years covering Indiana, you've seen a lot of great players. You've seen players that came in and were supposed to be great from day one. You've seen players that came in and we didn't know a lot about them and they turned into great players all across the board. Give me a player that when Don Fisher looks back on his broadcasting career, he thinks to himself, you know what? That guy was just a delight to be able to do his games because he was a good player, he worked hard, he got the most out of himself, and he just represented the school well, and it was always a fun fun time doing his games. Well, it's my favorite player, and that's Randy Whitman. I mean, I didn't know what to expect when Randy came to Indiana. I know he was a really good high school basketball player at Ben Davis. I knew his parents. They were befriended my wife and I and our family when we first got here uh, back in 1973. And Randy was just, I think, about 10 or 11 years old at the time I got here. And then he became a really good player that Indiana recruited and came to IU. And then he played unbelievably good basketball his entire career. He was at IU for five years. He had to sit out one year. I think it was an ankle injury that uh, he had to sit out with and didn't get to play hardly at all that one season. He came back, and he, he was just he was an incredibly talented player. But not, on top of that, he wasn't the greatest athlete in the world, but he was a basketball IQ machine. He was so smart out there on the floor. He made very few mistakes. He played point guard most of the time at 6'5", and not all that quick and fast, and yet he didn't make many mistakes, and he shot the lights out when he did shoot it. He wasn't a guy that took quantity shots. He was a guy that took quality shots and knocked down 50-plus percent for his entire career at Indiana. So he's, he's probably the one guy that probably came in unheralded, uh, all that much from a, a high school perspective, and yet turned into one of the best players in uh, college basketball at that time. Am I correct in saying, Don, I, I mean, my recollection, two things about Randy Whitman that I remember the most. First is I probably shot 15,000 baseline jump shots in my driveway thinking I was Randy Whitman. Um, and it, for that matter, he might have only hit one of them in his career against North Carolina going into the half in the national title game, but I've never forgotten it, right? But he strikes me as one of those guys – that was a Swiss Army knife, and by that I mean Bob Knight could have come to him before any game and said, Randy, we have a situation here, and I've got to have somebody to slide out of position and do X instead of Y, and I've picked you, and he would have said, okay, and done it and done it well. Like, he was very versatile, but am I off base in saying that? Oh, no. no. I mean, he played the one guard, the two guard. I mean, when, when Isaiah was there and they won the national championship, he was the two guard. And he did hit the baseline jump shot at the end of the first half of that North Carolina game that gave Indiana its first lead in the contest. So 
Um, that always stuck in my mind, too, about Randy. It was a critical shot uh, and, and critical to give Indiana some momentum. But uh, he, he was just a, a terrific player. He was a team guy first. Uh, and you never had to worry about him, you know, uh, off the floor or any of those kinds of things. Just a terrific young man. And obviously, uh, turned into an NBA career and a coaching career at the in the NBA as well. So and he's still he's part of Mike Woodson's uh, counselor staff that comes to uh, some ball, consultant staff that comes to ball games on occasion. And he was just here, I think, a week ago. So um, he's still around. He's still just the same Randy Whitman. Is is that eighty one run, Don? You know, at the time that Indiana won the title in 81, they had the record for largest margin of victory on average in the NCAA tournament. I think Vegas in 90 might have surpassed that. But when they caught fire and Isaiah got going and Landon Turner got going, I mean, it was just an absolute brush fire through the tournament. Was that as fun a run as you've had? No, no question about it. I mean, that was that was really fun. And that team started the season, if you remember, 7-5. and five. They got beat in Hawaii twice, and they came back home, and Knight was absolutely beside himself (laughs) about the performances in Hawaii. And that team really didn't take off like it was capable of until Landon Turner finally figured it out, and he started – he he got off the bench finally. I think he had five or six games. He didn't play at all. But Coach Knight kept him on the bench. And then all of a sudden, I think he came in off the bench against Northwestern and had – like maybe 10, 11 points, something like that, looked pretty good. And from that point forward, that team took off. And when, when Landon finally figured it out, he was the difference in that season for that Indiana basketball team because he was spectacular through that tournament. Don, I knew that things were different in Indiana. When I was a kid and we were driving to Florida for spring break, to go on family vacation during the 81 final four and we left indiana on a saturday to go down for florida and my dad got a hotel for three hours on the way down so we could watch the lsu game in the semifinals then we got back in the car and continued driving and i thought you know what this is a different religion down here right like like (laughs) iu basketball is a different deal man but and that lsu game was over and done and then on to carolina and Winning in Philly in title number four out of five for Indiana. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, again tonight after the Pacer game. You can hear IU basketball inside IU basketball with Mike Woodson. Don will be on the call. And then, of course, the Hoosiers back in action, taking on Wisconsin on Thursday. Don, a pleasure as always, and uh, hopefully a win to talk about next time. Yeah, Tuesday night for the or Tuesday, with, excuse tomorrow me. night for Wisconsin. Yes, sir. Excuse, you know what? I had TMR <laughs> written down in my writing so bad I thought it said Thursday. Sorry about that, Don. <laughs> Tomorrow well, night with I Wisconsin. I misconstrue some of the things I write, too. <laughs> <laughs> Don, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Don it. Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers. Okay, when we come back, I'll give you the answer to my Las Vegas question. Highly anticipated. I'll get both your guys' guesses, and I'll give you a little rundown of the sphere. And then we've got perhaps a seismic shift in college basketball and college football to talk about. We'll get into that as well on this Monday edition. Querying Company, you're listening to it on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
Okay, several people have asked me about the Sphere and the U2 concert, and I will get to that coming up a little bit after the top of the hour. But from a sports standpoint, this is always one of those things that I find fascinating. I was in the Forum Shops on Las Vegas Boulevard. You been to the Forum Shops, Jimmy? I don't think it's I have. Caesar's Palace. Yes. Okay. Sure. Like that yeah, huge all the whole mall. row. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have. Sorry. So it's kind of the windows of America, right? I yes. mean, like you've got the windows of the world, really. I mean, you have high end shops, but you've got people from all over the world coming through there, and you know the show that takes place and everything else. And there's a I'm not going to say the name of the store. People could probably figure it out, but there's a major basically commonplace in most cities sports merchandising store where you can go in and buy gear for your favorite team in said mall now there was an nfl store as well and i will tell you that i saw a colts hat one on the board now jimmy i almost bought you they had super bowl merchandise was 60 percent off Ooh. And I almost bought you something. Now you're going to have to tell me the name of the store off air because I'm going in. Well, this was just the NFL store. Okay. So different than what I'm about to get to. Okay, okay. But the NFL store had Super Bowl merchandise, but it was all the shirts that were done like pre. So it literally had the Super Bowl logo in Las Vegas. And then on the bottom, it just said AFC champion versus NFC champion. (laughs) That seems kind of generic. So I really did look for... um, they had the only stuff they had that, that indicated that the Chiefs had won. They had one that said Chiefs Kingdom rules. Nice. Um, but even at 60% off, I'll be honest with you, it was pretty hefty. And the, and the sizes were really weird. It's okay. So the only thing that I could find to get for you, which is really nothing. Okay. And, and Shannon was like, we went to, to lunch and I go, hey, put these two coasters in your purse. And she says, um, I, I don't I don't know that like we're stealing. I'm like, they're paper coasters. <laughs> but- I thought this was kind of cool only because it has the Super Bowl logo from Las Vegas, and it doesn't say Chiefs, but since the Chiefs won that particular Super Bowl. Hey, league, thank you, Jake. That's next awesome. Next time you have your Chiefs beer, you can drink it with I, your Drink Las Vegas Super Bowl coasters. I Eddie, I bought you that. nothing. Um, okay, so we went <laughs> well, into Well, you didn't the, really buy him anything. Yeah, correct. That's yeah, true. Yeah. I didn't steal anything for you, Eddie. So we went into this sports merchandising store, and I asked to see the manager. And the manager came over, super cool guy. Can I and pause I go, for one second? You uh-huh. realize you gave a store employee a heart attack right there, right? It's like, oh man, here's this guy coming <laughs> yeah, in, immediately right. wants to talk to the manager. Right. What did we do? No, I, I was I was cool about it. I wasn't okay. like angry about it. And right. I, so the manager comes out and I said, hey, weird. I got a weird question for you. He goes, there's no questions or weird or whatever. And I said, I want you to tell me right now, the NFL team, the NBA team, and the Major League Baseball team that you hear the least about in your store. You sell the least merchandise. You have the fewest number of people that come in and ask about it. You get the smallest number of requests for it. In your opinion, as a sports merchandising retailer on the Las Vegas Strip in the primary shopping spot in Las Vegas, give me the most random, anonymous, obscure, and forgotten franchise in each of the three sports. And I asked that question on Twitter last night to people, X, whatever you want to call it. And I said, if anybody can make a clean sweep by guessing all three of the franchises that were represented, I will buy a hat of whichever of the three you want. And I can't believe this because, and I I thought eventually, I, I guess statistically it is difficult because there are so many different combination possibilities, but there really aren't because the Yankees are clearly not a factor. The Cubs are clearly not, the Lakers are not, you know, whatever, right? But even with that, with I'm looking right now to see the number of of guesses that were that were placed 
Um, about 490 people wagered a guess, and no one got it correct. Jimmy, your NBA team that you would assume it would be would be what? Now, you gave us a hint, and so I'm taking a big risk here with said hint, and it seems really stupid. I'm saying Clippers. That was second. He okay. said, he gave me the answer and then goes, although I'll be honest, the Clippers we don't get a lot based on how good they are. Okay. Was that but the that one that not, you said surprised no, you? No. Okay. I was surprised right. though. Eddie, your NFL team you would guess is who? NFL? Commanders. Excellent guess. Geographically close, but not correct. And then lastly, the Major League Baseball team that you would guess would be who, Jimmy? The Rays. Okay. The correct answers. <laughs> In the National Basketball Association, and I was somewhat surprised by this, because if you drive from Las Vegas, five hours north to Reno, and hook a left, Sacramento, you are in Sacramento, but the Sacramento Kings was his NBA team. Wow. He's like, nobody. He's And he, he actually said, he goes, and they're good. They're good, but well, even no like the one purple, asks about The purple, them. I know. Man. Wow. So I then I asked him, I said, what about the Pacers? And he said, well... Maybe I would have said that, but they sell a lot now that Halliburton started cooking. Mm. Direct quote. Las Vegas tournament. NFL team. NBA Cup. Who did you say? I said the Commanders. Jimmy, NFL team, who would be your guess? The Browns. The correct answer for the National Football League. Is it Carolina? The Panthers of Carolina. Dang it. That was your first guess. I know. I was going back and forth. Major League Baseball. And I understand why I do. And I actually like the way it went. But the Major Cute League fellas? Baseball team, Jimmy, your guess would be who? Well, I said Rays. But Rays, that's right. And I, you said? My guess would have been the Marlins. No, I think the Miami stuff popped. Kids like the colors, man. Kids like that the cachet. colors. The correct answer for Major League Baseball, which was the curveball that was the reason that nobody got this on X. Was Only like really? 11 people even guessed this franchise. Is it really Baltimore? No, not the cute fella, man. No, cute fella sells. The Cleveland Guardians. Man. And I think it's because, you know, Chief Wahoo was so popular. Yeah, but, and I get it. I get yeah. why they had to change from that. Yeah. And I liked, I thought Guardians was the dumbest name ever when I first heard it until I heard the origin of it, the reason they selected Guardians because of the large sure. bridge and the three columns that guard the city. Cleveland Rocks, yeah, yep, yep, yep. But yep. the logo itself, just that weird G, yeah. there's just not a lot going on there. The Cleveland Guardians was the correct answer Man. for the Major League Baseball. So there you go. Guardians, Panthers, and Kings. And nobody got it right, so nobody gets the answer. Uh, I'll break down for you what happened in this sphere and how things might be changing in college athletics next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Pacers in action tonight, taking on the Raptors. Eddie Garrison, you tell us that there is some news from Indiana in regards to tonight's lineup, correct? That would be correct. Aaron Neesmith out once again with an ankle injury. Uh, not sure when he will return. He has yet to uh, play in a game after the All-Star break. Injured that ankle 
against the uh, Toronto Raptors right before the All-Star break. So they take on tonight. Pacers 2-8 and eight this season on the second night of a back-to-back. So over the weekend, um, two things happened. I flew to Las Vegas on Friday. As a matter of fact, I, was, I, I took a vacation day Friday, so I, I left Friday afternoon. And shortly after getting to Las Vegas, saw the article about NIL, name, image, likeness, and changes coming to the NCAA, which we will get into and kind of get it explained more at the bottom of the hour in terms of how this might impact Indiana, Purdue, Butler, Indiana State, any of them, really. And essentially, Jimmy, for lack of a better phrase, the the NCAA was neutered, right? I mean, that's, that's the easiest way to say it. And court rulings that were filed initially in, I believe, the states of Tennessee and Virginia saying that they didn't think that the NCAA should be able to determine or dictate like the parameters under which a player can profit from name, image, likeness, and courts essentially said that's correct, right? And so now you don't have to be underneath a university umbrella to negotiate ways to make money off yourself. Easiest way to say it? Yeah, that's a, it's a clear-cut way, and it's another devastating blow to the NCAA dating back to that 2021 Supreme Court ruling where you essentially open up the ability of NIL to take shape in college athletics. I don't know, Jake, where the solution is. I was always of the camp that the NCAA is a billion-dollar entity that was profiting off of the success of primarily college football, of course, but March Madness is the big one you always point to with the sponsorship dollars and all that, and the players deserve a cut of that. And NIL was the quickest way to get that done, at least in the eyes of those that pushed for it. There's no doubt that it is clearly, as it's been the last three years, the Wild Wild West. I think there needs to be some type of setup in place where it's not just highest bidder wins. But I don't know who players would trust to do that. And it feels like we are well far past the point for the NCAA to be the entity that handles that because if the courts are starting to look at the NCAA and say, no, sorry, we don't, we don't trust you to be involved with this anymore. This is too outside your boundaries. It's over. And there's still other suits that are to take place against the NCAA addressing this wild, wild west of NIL. The, um, I, I think you're right in the fact that it's like the NCAA's worst nightmare, right? Yeah. Um, because the NCAA's job at its foundation, at its core, amongst many other things, um, is to make sure that there is an equal opportunity for all schools. Now, that sounds ridiculous because we all know that Texas and Alabama and Florida are play- and Notre Dame are playing on a different playing field from an economic standpoint as Austin P and Oral Roberts and Boise State, right? Um, but that that's in theory, what they are there to design to, to, to make sure takes place. And so, therefore, there were rules in, in governing areas that they were over the years that they would do. So they would say, like, hey, we, we found out Kentucky is paying players, so we're going to restrict them and penalize them so that, again, Vanderbilt's got an equal chance. I, it's kind of like doing a speed trap on Keystone, though, right? Yeah. The bigger issue here as well, and this is, I think, for the good of 
college athletes. What this allows with the injunction that effectively lets players now negotiate with collectives and with schools prior to signing is it allows now for a market value to be set on a player for a player to understand what their worth is in college athletics. And I think that aspect of it, regardless of if Pandora's box is somehow closed someday needs to be established in an NIL world. It can't be arbitrary. There needs to be a clear setup of what a player's well, worth is in the sport. Jimmy, what what here's where this becomes a super gray area. And then and we're going to talk to Les Morris, who teaches NIL branding for Indiana University, coming up at the bottom of the hour, and he can do this more simply. But the NCAA, by its definition, is a not-for-profit. The idea of and, and the structure of the NCAA is that when it takes in money, when you go and you go to a football game at Clemson or a basketball game at Kentucky or a football game at Notre Dame or whatever it may be, that the money that is brought in, the NCAA is essentially the regulator and the distributor of where that money goes to the other amateur athletes within university structure. So like last night, flying back from Las Vegas, I was on the flight with the Indiana water polo team. That water polo, those those student athletes for Indiana University that are playing water polo, any stipend they get, any scholarship opportunity they get, or the travel that they are getting is largely brought in by the money that is distributed by the NCAA for the other sports to, to help the non-revenue generating sports. That's the, that's the core principle of the National Collegiate Athletic Association. Where things became topsy-turvy was when television networks started spending billions of dollars to televise games. And then all and, and the Big Ten Network was the forefront leader of this. Jim Delaney of the Big Ten Network was a visionary and a genius when he came up with the idea. And so now all of a sudden the Big Ten was bringing in, because it was its own revenue and its own network, it was bringing in billions of dollars more than like the Ohio Valley or whatever else. And then you start to distribute that out, and that's where it becomes tricky of like, wait a minute. These players became smart and were like, hold on. If I'm playing on a, you know, this is no longer me playing on WTTV and the Tennessee Valley for 15,000 people watching on television. I'm playing a game that is now being seen by millions of people, and companies are paying millions and billions of dollars to advertise on it. Where's my cut? That's where things became very slippery, but we'll get into all of that. And the NCAA uh, didn't want to budge. That's why the that's why litigation ended up happening up to the Supreme Court in 2021 because the NCAA did not want to open up sharing any of that pie with right. players. But again, the NCAA was saying, Jimmy, the NCAA's job wasn't wasn't to regulate. The, the NCAA is like, look, this isn't our job to do it. We just want to come up with a uniform principle here. Sure. And and basically, there's no uniformity in, in, in like a capitalistic name. It's like, hey, it's a free market enterprise, right? Yep. Uh, so I was in Las Vegas because I went to the Sphere to see you 2 and several people have asked about this. So I'll, I'll give you a four or five minute rundown here of it. The Sphere opened in November. It is, if you've been to Las Vegas, it's like everything else in, in Las Vegas. It is, you know, pretty, it's amazing aesthetically in all areas. You don't realize when you are outside of it how big it is. It simply looks like a perfectly round sphere, right? But it essentially is the world's largest circular 
high def, high, 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 high def television. Owned and operated and purchased by Jim Dolan, the owner of MSG, the New York Rangers, and the New York Knicks. And the they do so think of it as like the world's largest but three-dimensional, or not three-dimensional, but rounded IMAX theater, including on the outside. The image of it changes all the time. On the inside, it is a theater or an arena that literally there's the stage and then all of the seating is is in the forefront. So it's not round. The stage is not in the middle of the floor. The stage is at one end of the floor and all of the seating is looking outward from, if you're on the stage, looking towards it. There's nobody behind the stage. There are no seats. Kind of like a traditional concert hall. Correct. Correct. Um, The entire wall... On, on all sides of you and ceiling are video screens. The most amazing part about it, Eddie, see if you can play the video that I sent you. This is how it sounds. This is the sound in the sphere, if this will translate on radio. So that's the sound. I mean, it, it sounds like you're listening yeah. to a CD at home, right? Yep. And the whole time this is playing, you're seeing around entirely around you it's like you are almost floating inside of a video i mean it's remarkable now it was not inexpensive but this is what i will say about the experience itself it's cool enough to be there in that experience from a visual standpoint and the sound standpoint you hear the crowd going crazy right so that in itself is is special but the thing about going and seeing a band like that, and you don't have to be necessarily a huge fan of U2, but this I had this epiphany while we were watching it. And it is amazing to think, Jimmy, that you have 20,000 people inside of a place where they have now done like 30 shows since November, maybe more than that. But I think they do three times a week from November to now, and they're done next weekend. And then they they go on about their way. And then I think Dead and Company and Fish are the next to do shows inside the sphere. But as I was watching that show, it dawned on me that the magic of music in general is here are four guys that went to high school together in U2, essentially, okay? And they started making music in the early 80s, and they have made music all the way through to today. Now, you could certainly make the argument that the last 20 years or so, there's a pretty big drop-off, or they got... Some of their music does not transcend the way it does from like 82 to probably 2000. But I'm sitting there in one night of 30 or 35 that they do this. And each song, not all of them, but the majority of songs that they're playing, I'm sitting there and and I'm, I'm being taken to a different place of memories and great moments and thinking of my buddies growing up. Like when they played... You know, Octung Baby is the album they're playing for this particular show, and that that album was out in, in its prime when I was in early college, okay? And so, like, my coming of age and thinking about all of my friends, some of which aren't even here, um, things that, that were going on with my family and that period of my life, and that, you know, music has that ability to take you back, right? And as they're playing the songs and I'm listening to it and you become kind of entrenched in it and with the sphere and the video around it, you just get kind of taken away to just becoming reminiscent. And it's a special moment. It's a special feeling. 
and you know part of why it was fun to go with Shannon was because you know she loves you too but 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 that allows for our new special moment right sure. and then you realize that everybody in that place is going to their own individual story their own individual place and they are having that same epiphany of recollection in a positive sense more often positive some negative you know some sadness maybe because you think about people you've lost and whatever else but it dawned on me that I can't imagine what it would be like to be a musical artist or an artist in general and know that you have the impact of being able to, by your own creation, allow for fellow humans to take themselves to a place that they need to be at at moments in time in their life. It has to be an unbelievably powerful feeling, gratifying feeling, also one of probably great responsibility. But I felt like as I was watching it, the beauty of a show like that, the beauty of music, the beauty of entertainment, and just the beauty in general of, of, of common life experience is that all of us should strive to be able to, on occasion, allow other people within our grasp to find in the moments that might be difficult for them a place to go somewhere that allows an escape, if that makes sense. I was thinking you all went to a place called Vertigo. They did that too. They did play Vertigo. <laughs> okay. Did you not have the drum roll there? I, I texted I him to have the drum ready. I did. Um, <laughs> I didn't play it because he they asked They did for play it. Vertigo. And several people said <laughs> that they thought ver- they would get Vertigo in the sphere. Yeah. But I didn't have that experience. If you're going to go to the sphere. Was it hot? Re- like I was, I was, this is weird, but I would think, and this is very dumb, a very primitive thought. I'm sure they have coolant systems and everything. I would have thought with all the screens that it might be hot in the arena. That's actually a good question. And it doesn't – it's weird because the screen – like when you go in, it is not, to answer your question. When you go into the arena, into the sphere, the walls and the ceiling around you, it it looks like it is like concrete, like sound – I'm trying to think how how you word it. Sound paneling? Sure. You know how you go into places and you can see the sound paneling? Mm-hmm. It looks like that all around you with with a small dome at the top, like a small window at the top, kind of like the, art, the Indianapolis Arts Garden. Yeah. And at one point, it plays, it looks like there's a helicopter flying overhead, right? And, I, and when the helicopter flew overhead, the seats that you're sitting in vibrate. That's cool. And you think it's a real helicopter. And like several people are like, whoa, there's a, there's a bird in here. Well, it's not. It's it's all part of the video. It's all video imagery. And then when they when the concert begins, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but there are effects that take place. But the venue itself, granted, it just opened like four months ago. Sure. But the venue itself is so state of the art that the, the temperature was perfect. The humidity in it was perfect. The the carpeting, the escalators, everything is brand new. I mean, brand new. And if you go, this is what I would tell people. I can't speak for what it's like to be on the floor because I wasn't down there. But it is one venue where you, it's like the Indianapolis 500. The higher you up you are, the better you are. Yeah. Because you want to be able to see all of the video board. And in the higher levels, the concourses, I mean, literally, I walked out of my area and i mean the bars and the restrooms are right there i mean it, everything is it is so perfectly laid out in and out was as quick and easy as can be i have nothing but good things to say about it i mean it truly was now it is not inexpensive i have no idea what face value tickets are because you can't even get them right you have to buy secondary market yeah 
Um, but it was amazing. They played Beautiful Day as well. They finished nice. with that, right? Um, but it was very, very cool, and it is very unique. I just can't imagine. Th- there's, there's nowhere else that replicates what it's able to do, but it does emotionally and psychologically take you kind of elsewhere from where you are in that moment, and that's what's cool about it. And, like, I, I again, I marvel over you, too. I mean, it's four guys that went to high school together. Like, it's not like – literally, The Edge and, and Bono are probably a top 20 – guitarists and top 20 vocalists all time of the last 50 years and yet they're just two dudes that like yeah. you know what i mean met and cat i mean like my buddies from high school and i like we sit around and we talk about like you know whatever the times that we like went to patties of jamaica they're like sitting around writing like the soundtrack of people's lives right you know it's pretty cool it, it was cool though now do you like you two i i yes i don't not like you two like i like vertigo with artists like that jake because it's not specifically my genre the mainstream hits I enjoy, but like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I listened to the entire YouTube album that was right. forced upon us in 2011 when Apple all of a sudden pre-installed well, that. And you know <laughs> that was kind of I mean that was probably the peak of the fatigue factor about them, right? Probably the peak of the fatigue factor for sure. Um, and that's again going back to fatigue factors to the beginning of the show. That's with Indiana basketball. I feel like there's a fatigue factor yeah. right now with with what they're doing right now, and and, and there may be. With this NIL conversation we're about to have, maybe there's a fatigue factor with that too. Maybe people are like, because they don't understand it or they don't get it, maybe people are tired of hearing about it. At this point, I feel like at this point, Jimmy, most people when it comes to college athletics are like, just quit the facade now, right? Yeah, and that's I think another, and I'm interested when we have this conversation here coming up to find out if this is a real answer to this question, but I think a lot of fighting collectives or opponent-like collectives from like a Indiana and a Kansas, for lack of a better term. I feel like the hope is that even if the dollar amounts are crazy, that there's more transparency through this process. Like at a minimum, whether or not you agree or disagree with what is effectively free agency now with this injunction, I hope that the figures are more public so that the entire process is transparent instead of people still kind of walking on eggshells in NIL and you never really knowing how much a player's getting and you're wondering, oh, well, what type of shadiness is going on over there at Kentucky? I'm hopeful that if this is here to stay, this injunction, and this is how it ends, where free agency is now a part of college athletics, that the numbers and the values are transparent. So not only A, the players know what their market value is, but B, the consumer and the fan is better educated to understand what's going on versus that cloak of darkness and shadowy like car salesman right vibe that there's I think definitely is still there. a car salesman vibe to it yeah. right but again if you are the number one you know shooting guard in high school basketball or whatever else I, I i guess i just keep going back to if somebody is give me a school off the top of your head just any university marquette marquette if marquette's jazz ensemble brings in millions of dollars if if Marquette if the Marquette Jazz Ensemble group was playing at the Sphere in Las Vegas that's for the next residency that's right and and they were able to get the number one saxophonist in the world and he's 17 years old he should be entitled to payment for that despite the fact that he's only 17 or whatever else if he's if he's a member of the Marquette Jazz Ensemble and so 
college athletics are bringing in multi-millions of dollars. That's the whole point, right? Is it not of like, hey, then then those that are participating should be able to bring in multi-million, you know, some, get some of the money that they're bringing in. They should go get Kenny G and be done with it, honestly. That'd be something. Don't worry it? about the 19-year-old. Doesn't Kenny G just have the one song people know? I think so. Les Morris, who is an adjunct professor talking about branding in the NIL for Indiana University. Um, I've known him a long time. Good guy, good friend. He's going to join us next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Halfway through the show already on a Monday, good news for Indiana fans as we've deviated from talking that subject matter. But big news that happened over the weekend, and it kind of went, did we say off the radar or under the radar? It's off the radar, right? Under, right? Under the radar? Yeah, because you're flying under the, you're flying lower so that you don't get picked up by radar. So under the radar. I would think you'd go over the radar. Wouldn't radar be low and you want to be higher than that? I'm only going off of CIA movies and and, uh, Top Gun, so I can't, I don't know. I just, would it just be, would it just be? Off the off the radar altogether? Off the grid? Off the grid? Off the grid is a good one. Thank you. I think it's off the grid and under the radar. I'm the the Bermuda that. Triangle? I don't know. <laughs> that Bermuda Triangle. I have a theory, by the way. The Bermuda Triangle is actually the Area 51 of the naval world. Mm. That's my theory. Um, over the weekend, though, on Friday, the headline, Federal Judges NIL Ruling Throws NCAA Into Chaos. Quote, turning upside down. A preliminary junction, injunction could be a boon for college athletes. A federal judge, this from the New York Post, ruled on Friday that the NCAA cannot enforce its name, image, and likeness rules that block student athletes from negotiating deals with boosters. It took me nearly 30 years to graduate from college and seven attempts to graduate or, or excuse me, pass algebra. So I knew I needed somebody who could explain this in more simplistic terms so that I could understand it. So Les Morris who's an adjunct professor that essentially created a class at Indiana University in NIL media branding, joins us on the program. Les, always a pleasure. How are you? Great. great. Good to talk to you. Thanks. Okay, let's begin with this. And, and Les, you and I have had enough conversations that you know this over the years when talking to me. Um, I have the maturity level of a 15-year-old, so I need you to talk to me like I'm about half that. This exactly means what? For those that are listening in our audience that are not totally aware of NIL and the NCAA's involvement with it, where do things stand now? What what was it initially designed for, and, and how has it been forced to change and evolve? Jake, it's really a, a process that uh, in my class, uh, we, we go back to – athlete empowerment all the way back to professional baseball and Kurt Flood, who you know of and certainly from your St. Louis days. And, and Flood, Flood's case, although he lost at the Supreme Court, essentially ushered in free agency in baseball in the 1960s. And if you follow that through line to uh, collegiate, intercollegiate sports, one of the seminal figures who I know you've heard of is Ed O'Bannon. And O'Bannon 
pursued successfully and uh, won rights to the e- an EA game um, where he was featured without his knowledge. It's sort of interesting. He he walked in. He was working for an auto dealer in Las Vegas, and he walked into a friend's house, and the friend's kid came up to him and said, "Hey, I see, I know you from my video game." And he had no idea what it was about. So eventually, this led to a court case uh, in the summer of 2021 called Alston, which was the case that, although it didn't deal with NIL rights specifically, Jake, it it was uh, very important and it turned the table so that on July 1, 2021, we essentially started the NIL era. The NCAA said, in effect, we are not going to be able to... Um, police this anymore. We see what the Supreme Court has done. The Supreme Court in the Alston case issued a unanimous 9-0 opinion against the NCAA. And the majority opinion was was not as scathing as the concurrence written by Justice Kavanaugh, who blasted the NCAA saying that the whole notion of amateur athletics was folly. And that concurrence is still quoted in almost every decision and, and legal review article that's published today. So they, the NIL era started on July 1, 2021. And essentially, there were only three things that NIL was not. You, one was you couldn't have pay for play. So in other words, if a Purdue player scored 20 points, you couldn't pay him $10 for each point he scored. Another prohibition was that there had to be some work performed for the NIL. Now, that work could be a social media post on, on a platform, and commonly was. So, or it could be a, a holding a camp or signing autographs. And then the third, which is what led to Friday's decision, the prohibition was you, NIL could not be used as a recruiting inducement. Friday's decision issued by Judge Corker of the the Eastern Tennessee District Court, federal court, ruled that collectives and athletes, and collectives are third parties that are middlemen between donors and student athletes. We can talk about that in a minute. But essentially now, these collectives can negotiate NIL deals as part of the recruiting process. So it doesn't have to be a general, well, we have, our, our school has NIL capabilities, we have these collectives. Now you can offer, if they enroll, you can't go to contract with the student athlete, but you can say, here is an offer that we will make to you upon your enrollment. Similar to any non-athlete, Jake, who would get a package of inducements from a school. So what this has allowed is, what it will allow is greater transparency in terms of offering recruits NIL deal. Okay, so, and that's different, Les, so we'll use, okay, we'll say, we'll use me, okay, and let's say that I am a, a premier basketball recruit, and I am still in the open market, and I have five universities that are, that I'm down to for my services. I can still I can't take money from any of them until I sign a letter of intent with them. Is that that is a true or false statement? True. 
Okay. And that's so once yeah. I sign so let's say I sign with State U and I don't mean Indiana State, I'm just speaking generically here, right. okay? But right. I sign with State U and they say, "Hey, we're going to give you a $500,000 NIL deal." So I signed my letter of intent, and now not only am I getting a chance to go to school there and play basketball there, but I'm getting a half a million dollars for it. That is right. different. Be- Friday's ruling makes that different than how if it had been a year ago. Because a year ago, you couldn't you couldn't give that recruit a specific offer. You could just say, well, we have an NIL pool that last year raised $10 million for our football team. But you couldn't tell that recruit that if he came to said state university, this is an offer, and he would he would get this this money upon enrollment. Gotcha. Okay. Second question, Les. So, in other words, I am now able. So, I am now as Jake Query, the 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 top rated shooting guard in the country. I'm able to say to my five schools, "Hey, I've got you on my list." But you come to me with anything other than five hundred thousand dollars, you're off. You're you're out of the mix, right? And I could not have done that a year ago, but I can now. Correct? That's correct. Okay. So then the second question is this, and that is that, um, during like once I'm there, and I get that five hundred thousand, I, do I have then the right to after a year, if 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 I so choose to then. You know, is it a contract that forces me to stay X number of years, or is that to be determined between the player and the school on an individual basis? Well, the school the school is not involved except to the extent that you know, most this will force and, and the NCAA wants this NIL deals to go to contract. Um, that's that's by far the best practice. It's not required, but most schools have in their NIL policy that they. They want to see a written contract, um, and that would all be spelled out. Players can have representation, and as you know, there is a whole group of people that are becoming NIL agents or holding themselves out as NIL agents. Unlike professional leagues, there's no certification process. I, I couldn't become a NBA player agent today unless I went through the certification process and passed the exams, but in the NIL world, at least as it exists now, Jake, that's not the case. Anyone can hold themselves up as an NIL agent, and you know, when you hear about the dark side of this. Sometimes that's that's a part of it. Is that you have you have agents, so-called agents, promising things they can't deliver. But yes, that would all be spelled out in the contract. Okay, uh, so but in other words, less. Les Morris is our guest, by the way, who's an adjunct professor uh, professor teaching NIL media branding for Indiana University. So in other words, as I am trying to make sure that I can get $500,000 from State U, it is not an ambassador directly of State U that I am working with. It is rather people that represent the athletic booster of that, a la whether it be car dealers or business people or just independently wealthy people that want to see me playing for State U, that's who's paying me as opposed to the university directly? That's exactly right. And that's really an important point because it's not the university, it's the collective. So in other words, think of the collective as a funnel. Donors donors fund money into collectives. So like at, at Purdue, there's the Boilermaker Alliance that 
at um, Indiana, there's uh, Hoosiers Connect and Hoosiers for Good. And then those intermediary organizations pay the players. So the contract, the, the school is out of it. They're, I mean, they review it. They make sure that the contracts aren't for, you know, alcohol, tobacco products, anything that would would reflect poorly on the university. But uh, absent that, um, they're they're not a party to the contract. They review because they certainly don't want to get into trouble. But but they're not a party. And in fact, that's what started the road to Friday's ruling was that. It, it involved a quarterback for who ultimately enrolled at the University of Tennessee, and Tennessee got wind that the NCAA was investigating the recruitment process of this five-star quarterback. And the Attorney General of the state of Tennessee, joined by the Attorney General for the state of Commonwealth of Virginia, filed a lawsuit against the NCAA. And they first said, you can we we're going for a temporary restraining order but you, you cannot you cannot shut us down in terms of recruiting this kid we have we can make an offer and that failed the judge said no i'm not granting you a temporary restraining order then the parties came back and tried for a preliminary injunction and that's what was granted on friday so right now we have this preliminary injunction the NCAA issued a, a very uh, anodyne statement on Friday, but um, you know we'll see where this goes. I, I there's just so much up in the air. I mean, as an example, you know this is next week on Super Tuesday, March 5th. Politically, we're going to have another vote, and that is the Dartmouth men's basketball team recently was allowed to uh, was recognized as an employee group by the National Labor Relations Board. So on Tuesday, they're going to vote on whether to become a union or not, whether to be part of a union. So we've got a lot of a lot of things going on here, Jake, and I think the bottom line is that, in my opinion, we're, we're ultimately coming to a place where student-athletes are going to become employees. How and when we get to that is, is a question, but we're, we're really going – that route. I don't think that can be debated. And the NCAA is coming back and saying, we want federal legislation on NIL and whether and what student athletes are. They hired Charlie Baker, I think, in large part because he's a former governor of Massachusetts, had a lot of the political capital and experience, and they're, they're hoping that Congress will take this issue up. They have, in terms of in terms of committee hearings, but we don't have legislation at this point, which is what they're counting on and what they mentioned in their statement on Friday in response to this ruling. Les Morris, adjunct professor at the IU Bloomington Media School, taking some time with discussing NIL and the latest from the ramifications of the ever-changing landscape. Les, you mentioned transparency. I've read that a lot the last couple of days, and I believe, at least from the student-athlete or the athlete standpoint, it is imperative that they have a market or understanding of what their market value is through this process, that transparency, who does it impact more? The individual NIL collective at each school now knowing it's less wild, wild west and at least understanding what type of money is going towards player A or does it impact the players themselves more now understanding 
where their value is in the free market? I think it'll impact the the collectives more. Um, I had some correspondence with a few directors of collectives over the weekend, and they said that that they're really excited about this because it's going to make them more aggressive and they're going to be, be able to behave in more overt ways. And um, I think, I think you'll see a lot, a lot of uh, uh, changes in the collective world that they'll be uh, more and more open. I, you know, I, I think that um, we, the athletes, Ryan Day, the, the football coach at, at Ohio State, not this past summer, but the summer before, famously said at that time he thought it would take about $13 million in NIL money to keep his roster at the, at the highest competitive level where they're at. Um, so I think student-athletes know there are a lot of valuation services out there. They pretty, know, pretty much know in the ballpark what their market value is. Uh, but I think this will really uh, force collectives or allow collectives to uh, sort of have the shackles taken off and they can be a lot more aggressive and transparent. So I think that's where it will have the biggest impact. So let's theoretically, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, in conclusion, this this benefits the big boys more than the little guys, correct? Yes, and, and, and it always has. I mean, you know, NIL – that's sort of a misnomer. We hear stories about the Texas quarterback getting the Lamborghini, or we see Caitlin Clark with the insurance commercials. But um, you know, by and large, those are those are outliers. And but yes, to answer your question, it would it would impact more of the more of the Power Four conferences than, than anything else, and and obviously more football. I mean. You know, I think football is just separating itself completely from the other sports, and uh, and the Power Four are obviously uh, separate from from the rest of the schools playing Division One football. Les Morris again is an adjunct professor at Indiana University, talking about NIL and NIL brand for student athletes. Uh, Les, in conclusion, you and I have known each other a long time, and sometimes I get tired when I listen on the radio and I hear a host like talking to the person personally, and I'm like, yeah, the rest of the audience has no idea what the conversation's about. But just so that people know, you and I have known each other a long time, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we first met um, when you were writing for a Shelbyville newspaper about the Pacers, and I was working at a cigar store, and you came in the store, I think, a few times as well. So you would know that my NIL brand awareness and marketability is far higher as a cigar salesman than a radio host, right? Isn't that right? No, I don't believe that's true. I think you, I think collectors would would love to love to negotiate with you, Jake. <laughs> if it comes to figuring out whether you want a Hoyle de Monterey or a punch, I'm your guy, right? Um, <laughs> Les, right I appreciate on. it, man. We look forward to having you back on. As this thing continues to to move forward, uh, we may try to invite you back on to continue to keep us abreast because I think it's only going to get bigger and this thing is starting to roll downhill pretty quick. So I appreciate your explanation of all of it. I, I'd love to come back on. Thanks for the opportunity, Jake. I Jim. appreciate it. Uh, and again, Les came up with that class at IU. He went to them and said, you know what, here's a way that, that I can teach something that Student, and what's amazing is I think that young people in particular are far more abreast at all of this and what it means 
than you know those of us that are watching it unfold before our very eyes. It's like it's kind of like technology. You know, like the younger you are, the better you just have kind of an overall feel for it. Overall feel for the NFL Combine Week upon us. That conversation upcoming, and Chap going to join us. Is that right, Eddie? Mike Chapel joins us as well. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Thank you to Les for his time. A really good explanation there, actually, because I hope that gives people a little bit more of a basis or foundation as to what's going on. And I know it's a little bit laborious in talking legal mumbo-jumbo, but uh, it's going to have a big impact, I think, in college athletics, excuse me, college athletics moving forward and just the landscape of all of it. Uh, Combine week is upon us. Matter of fact, Jimmy, have you picked up your credentials yet? Uh, No, have you? Show field trip after this? You want to all head over? We can walk the tunnels? Yeah, assuming that's already open. It opens today, open? doesn't it? Does it? Or is it tomorrow? Don't look I, at me. I had thought it was tomorrow, but that was a cursory uh, glance last Did you guys not week. get the check your email response from I the bosses? I did check the email. Somebody's not paying attention. I did check it. I don't need <laughs> I'm not on that email. fine friend Todd Meyer storming in here getting mad at me. I did check it. I just don't remember. I asked earlier, <laughs> and I believe, I, I believe the answer was check your email. <laughs> that was my answer okay. on Friday, so I'm glad we've escalated. There weren't... Ex- expletives towards me so i don't know if that's just because it's you or because he's now evolved to a new level of frustration since i was just in las vegas and jimmy if i'm not mistaken you're headed there in a couple of weeks by the way does the ncaa tournament start later this year um selection sunday is saint patrick's day didn't wasn't saint patrick's day always like the opening weekend i can i mean it was the opening weekend last year like it fell on Thursday or Friday, yeah, Friday I mean, last I, year. You know, I, listen, I have plenty of memories of like Notre Dame playing on St. Patrick's Day or when I was at Kansas, I remember everybody, that, them printing green Kansas t-shirts for the tournament for opening day when they were playing their game. I And this year's Selection Sunday is St. Patrick's Day, right? Yes. That is correct. So isn't that a week later than normal? Because that would put the Final Four at, when is the Final Four? The final four is actually the national championship game is the is the eclipse day, right? April sixth and the eighth is the final four in national championship. Okay, game. so the national title game is April eighth. Eddie, can you look up what day is the eclipse when the entire world's moving to Indianapolis? I'm looking up something different. Big event at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, by the way, that day where you can watch the eclipse. NASA is going to be there the whole deal. April eighth. Um, yeah, tournament was. April 1st and 3rd last year. Yeah, so we're a week later now, right? And the first round was 16th and 17th. So, I mean, yeah, a couple yeah, days. Yeah, effectively. Well, but what I'm saying yeah, is effectively a whole week. Yeah. Moved one week, yeah. So, but here's the thing. So, so since we have Vegas on the brain, take wagers right now. 5.30 today, I have to call to find out if I have to report tomorrow for jury duty. Is my group going to be called to report? No. Eddie? No. What do you think? I don't know. Do you have a pulse, a vibe about it? What? I don't know, but here's the deal. I'm going to walk in there. What? What's the... Is it eastbound and down where there's the famous meme of the guy whipping out the, the chair, like sitting down like I'm here? Yeah. 
Okay. That if I if my group is selected and I have to report tomorrow morning, eight AM for jury duty, I'm walking in with a T shirt that says foreman. And I'm walking in and I'm like, here's the deal. I I'm cool with whatever jury, but listen. They're I'm, guilty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's They're it. guilty. That's all, That's all you need. I'm gonna walk what if I walk in and I say they they would not be here if they were innocent. I don't think I tell you get selected for jury. Guilty until proven innocent, I think, is the t-shirt. That's all you need. <laughs> that, Allegedly. I, I actually, if my number is selected, I actually, so long as it's like a one-day trial, I mean, I don't want to be, here's the other issue. I think there's part of you that wants to experience it. Well, here's the other, here's the other curveball. I do, oh, I totally want to experience it. Yeah. I think it's not only a civic responsibility, I think it would be fascinating. I think there, there are a lot of areas about it that I think would be very, I have always wanted to serve on a jury, admittedly. But. My car is getting work done right now, and so as a result, I'm driving Shannon's car, which is fine, but if I get jury duty and I've got to drive her car, what happens if I drive her car to jury duty, and then they're like, by the way, you're on a trial and you're sequestered for like three weeks? I'm like, well, actually, I mean, like, she's got to come get her car, right? You know what I mean? Give the keys to the bailiff. He'll take so, care there's of a lot that goes. There's a lot that goes into this. They're going to leave it tomorrow. with Janine at What's door going five on with the Jeep? At her desk. What's that? What's going on with the Jeep? Uh, Cam Phaser. I don't know what a camp phaser is. All I know is apparently it doesn't touch oil because the warranty didn't cover it. Isn't that always how it works? Usually. And I said, okay. It's uh, Let me tell you, it is not inexpensive. I will tell you that much. Uh, what time is Chap joining us? Two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes, Mike Chappell. We'll talk about the combine, the storylines, the Colts, all next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. NFL Combine Week is upon us. Going to be a busy week for all of us, including our next guest, of course, Mike Chappell of WXIN and CBS Channel 4 joining us in covering the Colts. Chap, I will begin with this. I'm going to take Michael Pittman Jr. off the board. We'll get to that. Uh, In your opinion, be it nationally or locally for the Colts, biggest storyline heading into the combine would be what? I posted this about my three or four things that Ballard and Steichen will address on Wednesday. Pittman was one. And my number two was getting an update on Anthony Richardson. He began throwing, I think it was last week, had surgery October, whatever it was, 24. And, and I mean, he's only only the most important player on the roster. So that – and then, you know, where do they stand on their other pending free agents? And it's funny, all of the uh, – of all the questions that they're going to field, a lot of them they won't <laughs> – Chris Ballard won't address because that's that's not what they do. They don't talk con- very seldom talk contracts or where they are franchise for, you know franchise tag long term deal for Pittman or you know re-signing Riggo or Kenny Moore or Grover or whomever. Those are the main things, and, and then we'll talk on areas of interest or areas of concern with the roster and all that. It, it's really important to talk to these guys. This will be the last chance. Some, some guys will go to the league meetings and they'll have Sykin and 
in Ballard, but for, for the most of the Indian media, this will be the last chance to talk to these guys prior to the draft. So you you, you just you kind of hit, hit try to hit all the areas, and, and it, it's funny you always hear after these things, maybe after the, the the state of the team that we got from Ballard and even Steichen at the end of the season. But you guys didn't ask the hard questions. You know, you got to keep. You know, at some point when you're around Ballard and you're around Steichen, you understand what questions they're not going to answer or 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 be very vague about. So, if you want to be macho man and really really pursue, you know, quite a line of questioning, whether it's on a suspension or whatever, or fine, go ahead. But it's when your guys that that are around these guys every week during the season. You understand questions need to be asked, but then you understand at what point does pressing an issue simply make you feel like you're you're more important than you are. So, again, we'll talk to Ballard, I think it's at one thirty on Wednesday, and we get Steichen at, I think, 3.30, I think it is. And we ask the questions, and they'll answer what they want to answer. Well, they'll answer everything. It's just we won't get a lot of specific answers on much of anything, but that's the game we play. Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 is our guest. Chap, we're about two weeks or so, give or take, from the start of free agency. I know Michael Pittman Jr. is the biggest name to discuss, and will they tag him, or will they agree to an extension, or does it go tag to extension? But either way, likelihood is he would be still a member of the Colts next season. The rest of the free agent class itself, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman, Grover Stewart, how aggressive compared to the pursuit of free agents outside the building, do you anticipate the Colts being when that period opens on their own guys? Very. Uh, I, I think their target has always been, you know, prioritize their own guys. You know, it, it, personnel matters are always risky because you're talking, you know, you, you just there's so many things that, don't, that, that play into things that you can't control. When a player finally gets the big contract, does he still have the motivation, injuries, all that stuff? You would much rather invest uh, pretty good contracts in players you know, you know, players you drafted. Zaire Franklin, perfect example. Uh, you drafted this guy, and he's been with you, and he's a guy that's not on that list that needs an extension. I'll keep pounding that drum until it's done. He, he signed a, was it three years, $10 million, I think it was, an extension, I think. And, and as he pointed out, and rightly so, it was because he was a core special teams player. Well, now he's you know, twice set the franchise record for tackles in back-to-back years. So he, he needs an extension, DeForest Buckner maybe. But they're always more inclined to overpay. Yes, you overpay. You overpay for a lot of guys. But I'd rather do that on somebody I know. I, I, I know is I, I, he's got a track record with the team. You know his work habits. You know how he is in the building. Whether it's Shaq Leonard or Braden Smith or Naheem Hines or Jonathan Taylor, you want to re-sign your own. And then what they've always done is try to complement that with that second-tier free agent, Dizzy Jamal Sherrods, Namiko uh, Autrys, and most recently, you know, Samson Ekubom. Those are guys that they really got were great deals that they didn't overpay at the time for because the odds are, are better that you're going to overpay and not get what you paid for as opposed to, hey, we really hit on that guy at a high price, and he came through. So I, I think that by free agency starts March 13th, I think we'll have a really good idea. If I think we'll have the main guys that they want 
to resign resigned because when a guy gets on the market if, if you're the right guy at the right position there's a good chance your your price is going to go up because that's what the market does it cap went up to 255 million which is probably 15 million that a lot of people anticipated so it's just when you're talking this kind of numbers in in two three year deals you'd rather get your own guys so Kenny Moore and Julian Blackman and Rigberto Sanchez and Grover Stewart and whether they do Minshew I don't know that may be one where the guy goes out and tests the market to see what he wants maybe they want maybe they want to go a different direction there but you know the next step is re-signing your own guys well the next step is probably the tag because I think you do the tag on Pittman regardless I, I just don't know that they can get that long-term deal done right away you know, it, deadline spur action. I think the deadline the deadline to get the long term deal done if you tag Pittman is like July, mid July. Uh, but you, you tag him just because it buys you time. And the fact that it's going to be a pretty massive contract, it's just hard to, for me to imagine they'll get that done sooner. Not I, I think it'll be later, not sooner. So it, it's always the next step is always trying to resign your own, and then you've got a better idea of what you need to address in the draft or free agency, the free agency and then the draft. Because if you, if you re-sign, if you retain Pittman, which they probably are going to, then if you re-sign Kenny Moore, then, then cornerback is still important, but not quite as important. Safety with Blackman, same thing. Grover Stewart. It's always trying to, to limit the damage or the leakage from free agency. Chap, if you had to, to guess, Mike Chappell is our guest. When it comes to the NFL Combine, I have my own thoughts about how the league itself has like kind of shifted from this being like the end all be all top secret area 51 thing to like, well, you know, it's just kind of an overview, you know, et cetera. But right. having said all of that, if you had to guess, give me the most recent player that became an impact player that you can think of that the combine is where they truly introduced themselves to the Colts and got on their radar. Wow, that's a good question. Uh, top of my head, I don't know if I could tell you or not, but, but because again, these guys have done their homework coming into here. The, the combine sort of, you know, refreshes or you know, it, you hone in on guys. Boy, I, I, I don't know if I can give you guys. And there's probably somebody that just should jump out. Uh, it's obvious from last year they really, really uh, favor guys who test well. I mean, on field test well. The forty times and the and all because most of the guys that they drafted were like at the top of their position, whether it's the offensive lineman, whether it's the quarterback, obviously. But boy, a, a player that really came because I I always have a problem for a guy who when the, when the combine's over they say well this guy man this guy really we didn't know about this guy well everybody knew about this guy you know you, you, and if if the combine blew you away then what were you doing? Before that, that this guy wasn't on your radar. I'm sure there are guys, and I'm just drawing a blank. Maybe you have someone in mind, but nobody I, I don't. In, the Mike Mamula type guys back in the day. I don't. Yeah. I just don't see those guys prevalent. I, I, I kind of get the feeling, Mike Chapel, and you tell me if, if you agree with this. But I kind of get the feeling that at this point, in a perfect system, the way it should be, would be that you have been able to start to wither down your lists based on film and interviews and scouting. <clears throat> and the combine is the opportunity for you now, quite frankly, to find out why you should rule them out. 
if if you're using the combine and a guy's shuttle time and high jump to convince you to draft them, then then they shouldn't be a guy you're drafting. Rather, it gives you the opportunity to get to know them to see if there are warning flags on why you shouldn't draft them. I, I, I agree. I think for the most part, not just the Colts, but almost all teams kind of know what they're – not saying what they, they've got their board lined up because so, there's so much work yet to do, the combine in pro days and all of that. But I just think you know roughly – who who should be where and how they they stack up, and I've always thought that you know when you start ranking the importance of the combine and what you get done there, it's medicals are one, the medicals are the most important, and then the psychological testing, which to me includes the interviews. I think whether you have forty five or sixty players, you can you can formally meet with, and that's when you really that's when the GMs and the head coaches really really get involved with these players because. You've got all these scouts, area scouts, who they, you know, this guy's got the SEC, this guy's got the Big Ten, and and, and they've done the, they've done the, the groundwork, they, they've done the hard work on, like you said, winnowing players down, and they get to know these guys. And when they talk to a receiver at the combine, Reggie Wayne will be in there. When they talk to defensive line, the new defensive line coach will be in there, and uh, and, and the scouts will be involved, but. Like I say, I just I think you're right that, that if a guy has a, a has a good combine, you say, well, yeah, of course he did. He, he, look, look at his tape, look what he's done, and this reinforces. And if a guy has if a guy has a bad combine, and injury is not a factor, a hamstring, whatever, he's coming back from surgery, whatever. If a guy is in peak condition and he has a bad combine, you say, wait a minute, now what's going on here? Because this I've always said this is every player's most important job audition it just is and you've known about it since the last day you played at your college you you know what the date is and and over the last i don't know what it's been 10 15 years all most of these players they, they go to they go to pre-combine work whether you know uh, uh st vincent's uh, sports performance used to have that maybe they still do i've gotten away from that but these guys you've got such a sharpened candidate in front of you how many times i mean we talk to these players what well, we, we can talk to 300 players i've never been called yes sir and no sir more in my life than <laughs> right. when you talk to these guys because they know how important this is and first impressions are important these guys go through interviews they go through all these drills they go through the three cones and, and they hone themselves on, on how to come out of the blocks on the, on the 40 and if a guy has a bad combine, you think, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Or, or, or remember Ryan Leaf came in here and he was like 20 pounds overweight. And he was already a big guy. You wonder how a guy's wired when you know the most important day in a guy's athletic life is this day and he's not ready. So, yeah, I do think it's more red flags. And, 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 yes, reinforcing, but red flags because why was why did this guy have a bad day when he knew this day was coming up? Colts beat rider. The Dean, Fox 9 and CBS 4 is where you find his work. Mike Chappell with us. Chap, oftentimes franchise quarterbacks or perceived franchise quarterbacks, it is reported or it is speculated that their input is valued in personnel decisions. Maybe not, I won't go as far to say as they are a deciding factor for personnel decisions, but perhaps their input is at least taken from the general manager. Are we at a point yet with Anthony Richardson or is it still far too early to say that his input in maybe a 
position player or a skill player, whether it's in the draft or in free agency, would be sought out? Boy, I think we're way too early. I really do. Because, again, being as honest as you can be, you hope he's a franchise quarterback, but you really don't know. I just mean they believe it, right? I know we don't know, but I think internally, I mean, the, all their chips are on him, right? Not to borrow the Jimmersey phrase. That, but, doesn't, you know. that doesn't mean I'm going to go to him and say, listen, uh, we're looking at this guy from wherever. What do you think? Now, with Peyton Manning, I don't know what level he had, but there were a couple receivers here because Peyton knew him and liked him. Brandon Soakley. And they brought in a guy, a free agent later on, didn't have much of an impact. He, he was from Tennessee, and his name escapes me. But, no, I, I think now, would they go to Richardson and say, this is what we're going to do, just so he knows, maybe, maybe. But, no, he's he's a, he's a, a few years away from being, what do you think we need to do? I don't you know. No. Uh, maybe you do that with, gosh, I'm not sure there's a player on there I'd do it with. Uh, because the quarterback's the one that, that matters. You're not going to go to DeForest Buckner and say, what do you think we need to do on defense? So, like, if he texted you know, Ballard, Richardson texts Ballard and says, hey, there's this player from Michigan that, like, I think would pair well, is that something that is just being, ah, thanks, Anthony, or is that something you think is actual advisement at this point? I would think I'd say thanks, Anthony. Okay. Well, you know, he's on our radar. Because to, to, to think that Richardson has a guy in mind – that the Colts don't haven't already done some sure. work on is because they've done you know, they, they, again these scouts. I always kind of laugh when I see on on Twitter or X whatever you want to call it now is when the Colts had a scout at uh, South Carolina State looking at this guy. Well, I hope they did because they got a, they got an area scout that that's his job to be there. So now when you see that the GM or the head coaches at a place. Then you take notice, but but the fact that the Colts have people at these workouts, these pro days, of course they do. They they, they should have. If, if if not, the guy overslept and he's going to have hell to pay. But uh, they, they do their work, and I again, I just think it's way too early to think that Anthony Richardson has a vote in the personnel process. Maybe someday he will. You know, I always wonder how much Andrew Luck might have had. You know, I I don't know if Luck would have wanted to get involved with that. But uh, maybe if you're that quarterback who's who's been there for six, eight years and you've won a Super Bowl or two, they 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 listen to you. But normally, guys stay in their own lane, and and Ballard and his guys, they do this. This is what they do. This is what they do. And these scouts, these these area scouts, I mean, they're on the road forever. I bet they wake up some days, and they have to remind themselves what city they're in because they go to so many places, but uh, everybody's got a job to do, and I just don't think we're anywhere close to Anthony Richardson saying, you know, we could really use a tight end, and this guy, I really like what I see. I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. Do you believe, Mike, that they are, at this point, a sound enough or balanced enough roster that they can literally go best player available? Or are they going to say – Look, we got two areas, and the first two rounds, these are the only two areas we're hitting. No, I, I, I think they I, I think they take best player, and I think there's a good chance that best player will coincide with one of what we consider the you know the areas of need, uh, cornerback, safety. Fifteen is probably high for a safety, but corner. I think receiver, I, retaining Pittman in my mind, changes nothing on needing an addition to the receiver room. I've seen uh, the Georgia tight end, Bowers. 
I wouldn't mind him at 15. Uh, and, and I wrote I wrote about this last week. I think one thing maybe we talked about it, but the thing that's really going to benefit the, the Colts is like like one draft. I think it was Matt Miller of ESPN had five quarterbacks going in the top 15, in the top 13. Well, that's great for the Colts because that just drives people down. So yeah, I, I, but because of all that, I think they're going to have a really really quality player, whether it's a corner, whether it's a receiver, whether it's you know, Bowers at tight end if he lasts that long. And maybe even in the second round, you can address one of those needs. Good because, you know, we always say what their top four needs are. And most of us in the media, we agree on what they are. And I, I think the Colts probably, you know, they, they probably agree with us to some level, not that they would ever really come out and admit it. So they're, they're, they're going to be able to address those needs, corner, receiver, defensive end. I mean, maybe I. You know, it's kind of crazy that a team that's had a, an indie record with 51 sacks needs help at, at pass rush, but they do. They need a guy. They need the guy. Whether you can get that guy at 15, you know, they got Freeney at what 11. Uh, so, but I, I would love to see a, a pass rusher who is the guy. And I just don't think that guy's on the roster. What the leader was Ekubon with was it nine and a half? I think. Chap, and, this here's the thing though. I don't disagree with you, but it feels to me like. I'd like to see a pass rusher taken up high for the Colts has been like rinse and repeat for like eight years now. I know. Well, right. Does that speak and, Does that speak more towards the challenge in finding that player or more on the Colts misfiring on their scouting of guys in that area? Probably both. Uh, and if, if you bring in a guy with a top 15 pick, does that mean that you – you said, well, Quiddy Pay and, and Dio aren't the guys. Uh, I, I don't know because, I mean, those were two high draft picks, a one or a two. And they each showed – I mean, they each took a step forward last year. They, they both had their, their best career seasons. But do, do you look at Quiddy and think, you know, this guy's going to be 14, 15 sack guy? I, I don't. I, I, I think he's a really, really good player. I think I saw that his fifth-year option is going to be $13 million. So you'd have him for two more years, uh, the fifth year being thirteen, which is which is a decent number, which is, which is a, a livable number. But do you think that he's going to be the guy? I don't know. So no, you're right because they they've missed on guys, Teray and Basham. They they missed on them, and that goes back to the uh, the previous regime with uh, Bjorn Werner. They missed on guys, and, and the previous regime before that was Jerry Hughes. Now he was really good in Buffalo, didn't do squat here. It, it's a hard position. And the further down you go in the list, the, the more risk you get because there was a, there's a reason the guy's not Will Anderson as a top three pick. So, yeah, it's that, that's a good point is is why do we expect you to get it right this time when you weren't able to get, get it right previously? Well, you're drafting higher. But, yeah, I I, I, I don't mind the, the sack by committee guys. So, boy, I much prefer having a guy that you go into a game and this if they don't account for this guy, you know, you're going to have trouble. Most of those guys are just top. They're they're top ten picks, and they're top ten picks for a reason. And you're picking top ten for a reason. And the Colts have to hope that you know, picking fifteenth is they won't be that high in the order for a while because if if you're successful, you're just not in that position to get that guy. Fox 9 and CBS 4's Mike Chappell is our guest. Chap, as we know, it is Combine Week, and it was reported start of the year. That Indianapolis and the NFL had reached an agreement 
keep the combine in Indianapolis for at least one more year after this in 2025. I know how we all feel collectively, both all of us here in the studio and you yourself, about the city of Indianapolis as the perfect spot for this event, a perfect spot for all events, really, that can host, whether it's sports, whatever it is, how equipped the city is. Are we ever going to be at a point where the can isn't being kicked down the road and there's real stability once again around this event or is this forever going to be a oh i hope they don't access and go to la this year like is this are we ever going to get back to stability for this event i don't think so just because if we've learned anything and that is the nfl gets what the nfl wants i mean you know they're playing in you know in london they're playing in germany and what's the next in brazil so they're hell bent on doing this, and they move the draft. I mean, they're moving the draft from from city to city. So I think that I think the league looked at well, if the draft work. We can take the draft from Chicago to New York, or from New York to Chicago to Nashville to wherever it's at Detroit, Las Vegas. Well, it's not the same. It's it's you know I always say it's apples and aardvarks. It's not the same. Uh, it, it works here because everything is centralized downtown. Most importantly, the the medical. And it's been rumored, or, or, or they've tried to make this thing mobile the last, gosh, I remember talking to Jeff Foster, uh, the last three or four years, it's always, well, we're, we're year to year, and they really wanted to go to Dallas. L.A. was the big one after they got the new stadium out in the L.A. area. That, but it's just, and I, I kind of think what's going to happen is they're going to take this after next year or the year after that, and they're going to go somewhere let's say LA and because for some reason they think that a bigger market is going to mean what a bigger, uh, I, I don't know. How, how do you make it more accessible? It's, I mean, there's only so much you can do marketing uh, and they're going to go somewhere and it's going to be a complete cluster. It's just not going to work because of, well, this, this kid needs an, an, a, a follow-up MRI. So let's take, well, that's, that's a 35 minute drive to wherever. I think they're going to find out that, that it, it works here and they shouldn't have left here, and they're going to be bullheaded and move anyway in a couple of years just to prove that they tried it, and then they come back here and say, well, yeah, I guess it, I guess this is, this is the best place. And we like it because if, if it's elsewhere, that I doubt if I go to – I'm not going to go to L.A. for crying out loud. And maybe maybe the the hardcore media guys will still – they'll go wherever it goes because that's that's their job. I like it because, you know, we get our coach and our GM here, and then we get access to Marvin Jr. and Caleb Williams and all these guys. It's a 10-minute drive from my house as opposed to being a week somewhere. So, yeah. but, but it works. It works here, and, but, but I, I do think what, the way the NFL does it, this will move at some point because that's what the NFL wants it to do. Chap, it feels like the NFL's pursuit of a non-Indianapolis home for the Combine is as rhetorical a subject matter as the Colts' pursuit of defensive pass rush help at the Combine, right? Yeah. It, and, but, but again, it's inevitable. And you're always trying to find that pass rush guy. And, and you know, the, the Colts haven't – it's kind of like the quarterback thing until until last year. Again, it, it's going to be a topic of discussion until it's not. And, and I understand – you explore, you explore, you, you, you explore all the, the pass rush guys, and can this guy fit? And this, and you explore, is it better to move the combine somewhere else? And if you if you pull the GMs and the head, really the GMs, head coaches, I guess, but it'd be eighty percent wanted to stay here. 
just because it works. Again, right. again, it's, it's like any event, the, the Final Four. Outside media, you, you, you take a shuttle from the airport to downtown. I mean, I mean, Mike, you, how else do these guys end up on Eddie White's Instagram, right? I mean, you move it elsewhere. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? We get, and, 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 and does every place have a steak and shake? Is that still open downtown? I think it is. Well, I don't know that Indianapolis does anymore, right? Um, well, I tell you, we got one here in my Beach Grove, and I tell you, I drive by there, and it's immediate seating all the time. I <laughs> don't have, but, but still, it's just everything's right there, and it's equipped. That's why it's funny when what 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 the combine is for the city is just another convention instead of you know future farmers or whatever. It's a convention, and, and Indy's such a great convention host because it's got everything you need. Everything's walkable. You know, I think this is a great place for the Super Bowl. I don't think they'll ever come back here. I just don't. You know, they, they had the one shot and they knocked it out of the park, but I don't think Indy ever gets it back. I think Indy will get the draft in a few years. I know they, there's a big push to get Indy in the, for the host of draft. But yeah, the 900,000 people on Monument Circle for the NFL draft, right? That's the release oh, number. It, 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 and, and this city will knock it out of the park. If I, I won't like it because then we got to not cover it, and it's a pain in the ass to do that. But again, it's just all, all these all these conventions they they come here because it works. In the combine, it, it's just kind of cool that for like eight or nine days, Indy is is the center of the NFL universe. Anybody who is anybody in the NFL, for the most part, is here, and we have access to them. And it's really kind of cool, and in a couple of years, it'll be somewhere else because that's what the NFL wants. I, I believe that. Chap, lastly, um, in a yes-no answer, T. Higgins getting the franchise tag. $21.816 million is what he will get, estimated as a wide receiver getting tagged by the Cincinnati Bengals. Their decision to tag T. Higgins does or does not have any impact on what the Colts do with Michael Pittman. Zero. Gotcha. Colts are going to do what the Colts are going to do, and they're going to tag him because gotcha. that's just what you do. Okay. Uh, Mike, we appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you, and, and certainly probably see you walking around the Combine as well. So we'll catch up, all right? Be well. Talk to you guys later. All right, sounds good. Uh, Mike Chappell from WXIN and CBS4. Earlier we talked about uh, the NIL stuff, but we didn't necessarily get into college basketball in depth in terms of where everybody slots. Jimmy has some information on – the latest rankings, how it affects Purdue, and Mike Woodson said something that, to quote CNC Music Factory, makes you go, hmm, and we will play that next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Talked earlier about how I saw you 2 in Las Vegas in the Sphere. You may recall in 1987, Indi- or, uh, Indiana, in 1987, in Indianapolis, U2 was in concert. Their opening band was Los Lobos. Los Lobos had a travel issue, couldn't make it. U2 went out disguised as a country western band, basically got booed off the stage, and then said, uh, by the way, that was really us that were out here, and everybody's like, are you kidding me? Speaking of Los Lobos, who I've always liked, uh, Los Lobos and Little Feet going to be in concert. We have tickets to give away. Do we know where that concert is of the many venues now that are around, Eddie? 
Yes. It is Everwise Amphitheater at the White River State Park. Now, that's formerly TCU, right? I would assume, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a great venue. Little Feet and Los Lobos. That concert is when? Thursday, July 20th. So if you would like to go see Little Feet and Los Lobos, or if you just simply like on a nice July evening to be able to go to the amphitheater white, right at White River, right there across from Victory Field, we will give those tickets away coming up in just a couple of minutes. So um, pay attention is what we're getting at. College basketball, the latest rankings are out. Jimmy, where do things stand for the Boilermakers of Purdue? For the bracketology's sake, I assume you mean not AP, but we'll do both just for the sake of it. AP Top 25 came out today. Houston is number one in that poll. They, I believe, passed Purdue unless they had... I can't remember if they they maintained it last week, second week in a row. So number one this past week was obviously UConn. Number two was Houston. Three was Purdue. So there was a little bit of shuffle there, Um, but Purdue uh, second in that AP poll to Houston, but for bracketology's sake, and we talk about, of course, Lenardi is the standard. It doesn't mean that he's always right, but he's pretty darn accurate on where things go from a seeding standpoint. This nugget, in terms of Purdue's race for the top overall seed, which would in theory give them the easiest path of any team in the tournament, Purdue, UConn, and Houston are in a virtual tie. Again, a virtual tie for the number one overall seed at this point, though it should be noted with his sheet that he publishes every day, but his brackets don't update until Tuesdays. He just gives like an information sheet. Purdue is the number one overall seed. Additionally, Butler has fallen all the way from last four in to a couple of weeks ago to next four out. That's two tiers away from March Madness. Now, Indiana State, who had lost two straight, now has won two straight. They are back to receiving a vote in the AP Top 25. I only mention that because it means that they're in the conversation, but at a five-loss team now out of the Moval probably does need to, Jimmy, win their conference tournament, right? Yeah, looking at... Well, there's two things I wanted to look at to decide if it could be a two-bid league. The first is that in the last four ins, first four outs of Lenardi, are there any Moval teams around there? And the answer is no, there's not. Indiana State's in the field, but they're in the field as an automatic qualifier, meaning they won their tournament. So you look around worst-case scenario for Indiana State, what if they lose... And don't win the Moval. The last four in are Seton Hall, Virginia, Providence, and Gonzaga. You could make a case towards like Providence and the Zags. Maybe Indiana State could squeak in because their resume is truthfully one of the better in the country when you look at all things considered where they're playing, they're non conference, they're not having the luxury of a Big East opponent every night or a high-level quad one opponent every night. That said, with how they stumbled last month or earlier this month, I think it is, yes, Jake, to answer your question, win the Moval or bust. I I don't know they get in as an at-large. And then there's Indiana. I had said earlier today that for Indiana – they have committed the three cardinal sins in college basketball. They just have. In no particular order, the cardinal sins are the following. I saw a clip from the Penn State game where Penn State moves the ball around, misses a shot. McKenzie and Baco just kind of stands there and watches the for Penn State offensive rebound fall right into the hands of one of the Nittany Lions and Baco 
kind of haphazardly moves over like, eh, should I block out? I don't know. They move the ball around. They get a second shot because somebody just drove right around Mbako. He's just kind of standing there like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if we get like snow cones after the game, but that'd be cool. Sure sounds good to get back to Mother Bears, I think, has a special going on, the Leal deal. That sounds good for dinner tomorrow night. And Indiana looks apathetic. They look apathetic. They look like they don't care. Biggest cardinal sin for a team is not caring. Because you know what happens? Eventually, fans don't care. And people say they don't care, but yet they want to hear about Indiana basketball, admittedly. But more and more people that I talk to are like, you know what? I didn't even watch the game. Didn't even watch the game. And it's harder now to find games because they're on a million different networks on different nights, whatever else. It's not the whole Thursday and Saturday on TTV4. It's different. I get it. But the players look apathetic. And you've heard me say a thousand times that one of the things that Indiana fans want, probably more so than any other school, is they simply want players that have an appreciation and understanding or a passion for representing Indiana University and understanding what it means, maybe not even to that player, but to the fan base about being able to play for that school. And now you players don't look like they have it. Some do in, in moments. I'm not saying that, that any of them are guilty of that game in and game out, like all the way across the board. All of them have had moments, but for the most part, excluding Xavier Johnson maybe, they've all had moments where they've looked like they've wanted to play for Indiana, but Xavier Johnson is one guy, for example, that like he just thinks like, yeah, yeah, whatever. They look apathetic, and that means that it bleeds over to fans being apathetic. Cardinal sin number one. Number two, you should never lose to teams that you're expected to beat. And yeah, it's arrogant, and it's delusional, and it's antiquated for Indiana to think that playing Northwestern is an automatic win or that playing Nebraska and Penn State, which only have a basketball program to keep their fans entertained until spring football, it's arrogant to think that those should be automatic wins, but they at least should be competitive. And you go a year where you don't beat any of them? That is a massive cardinal sin for Indiana basketball. But the biggest cardinal sin is the following. Accountability and not having it. We want accountability in life. We want it from our friends. We want it from our partners. We want it from our coworkers. We want it from our bosses. Everybody wants accountability. They want to see accountability. They want to know that when things are not delivered, that somebody is accountable for it. And that starts with coaching. I don't know Mike Woodson. I'd love to have Mike Woodson on this program and ask him about certain things, but for whatever reason, I don't even think he's ever on this station, right? I have no idea why. Is it because of fear of accountability? Maybe. But players aren't accountable. They're not held accountable. Xavier Johnson has had like Xavier Johnson has has had more at bats than Tony Gwynn. And a lot of swings and misses, for that matter. But there's never been accountability, right? In games, when players are out there and they're lollygagging around, Joe Hillman said it best. They go out and and have a lazy effort, and then the next game, they go out and the same roster's out there, same starting lineup. It's like, wait, what? No accountability. Nobody's held accountable. And then Mike Woodson finally decided to address that today and claim to take some accountability 
in the worst explanation of it known to man. Here it is. Sometimes coaches don't want to take the blame and they want to put it all on the players. I'm not that type of coach. Even though I don't miss <laughs> jump shots, wide open shots, and don't miss free throws, I'm still a big part of it. And, you know, I take a lot of responsibility. So all I can do right now is continue to work with my team and try to put them in the best position possible to be successful. And hopefully they'll come through for us. Okay. We're going to do this again. And I'm going to do it like Dick Vitale in the old days with freeze it. Eddie, I'm going to have you play that bite. Sorry, that's a radio term. I'm going to have you play that quote, and I'm going to have you stop it a few times. You ready? Play it. Sometimes coaches don't want to take the blame, and they want to put it all on the players. I'm not that type of coach. Freeze it. So right there, I'm not that type of coach. I'm not the type that puts it on players. I'm not that guy. I'm standing here before. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mike Woodson is taking accountability. I love it. Continue playing, Eddie. Even though I don't miss <laughs> jump shots, wide open shots, and don't miss free throws, I'm still a big part of it. And Freeze it. He missed a big layup there. Freeze it. That's exactly <laughs> correct. Continuing the sentence. Let me go ahead now and pawn accountability everywhere but on me. Let me passive aggressively defy everything that I opened this statement with. Last one. Play it again, Eddie. Play the rest of it. You know, I take a lot of responsibility. So all I can do right now is continue to work with my team and try to put them in the best position possible to be successful, and hopefully they'll come through for us. Okay, freeze it. Hopefully they'll come through with us. That's a passive-aggressive way of saying, look, I told you guys what I want them to do, but if they don't do it, it's not because of me. They didn't come through. Zero accountability. Accountability and responsibility starts at the top. Indiana doesn't have it right now. I'm not saying they can't. I'm not saying they haven't in the past. But right now, on this, the end of February 2024, Indiana right there at the very top has zero accountability. And that's why that program for right now in the Big Ten is an absolute dumpster fire. Hopefully they'll come through for us. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, college basketball and the NBA. A little trip to the Southland Conference. We'll scoop the nine on Lamar as they are at home against McNeese State. 8-1-1 are the Cardinals against the spread this season. Pacers and... Raptors tonight will lay the six on the Pacers at home. You know the usual bet. Give me over 33.5 total points, plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton. And last college basketball bet that I forgot on the onset, give me TCU on the money line over Baylor. Anything from you, good sir? Negative. Nothing from Eddie. Those are your plays of the day. You have no games, Eddie. Okay, let me pick one here. I'll pick a college game. You ready? I mean, Sol Bossa Nova gets to play a little longer. Okay, like here we that. go. Um, Campbell. They're the fighting Camels, right? Campbell and UNC Wilmington. JB just walked in and was like, what is going on? <laughs> I forgot to scoop something. Cam- Campbell <laughs> is at, uh, they're at home against UNC Wilmington, and they are the Camels. I believe they're the only Camels. They are not going to get smoked, though. Who are you taking? I'm sorry. Campbell. Okay, you're taking Campbell. Yep. They are getting nine. You taking them on the money line, or are you scooping the nine? Uh no, they're gonna win outright. All right, plus three thirty money no, line. No soup for you, right? All right, there Campbell. You go. No scoop for you. Campbell's Campbell. in what state? North Carolina, right? Exact. The Mundo.
You're just like a little pocket Greg Rakestraw right there. <laughs> John, it's great to see you. I know you I know. were out on remote on Friday, but I haven't seen you. I haven't been in, in the studio for almost two weeks. Hey, there's my mom calling right now. <laughs> That's good. By the way, um, tomorrow, here's here's the money line we should put on. I will get selected for jury duty, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. You, so? Now, do you know what you're going to be having to be a part of? Well, uh, all I, I know is I'll I'm, be foreman. Uh, tonight, I have to call here in about two and a half hours to find out if my group has been selected to report yeah. in the morning. Then, if it is, then I have to get up and go report in the morning. I um I got I didn't get selected, but I was in the final grouping, and a crackhead was representing himself in Morgan County, and I said, "My God, I want to do this so bad." <laughs> it was awesome. He came in, kind of dressed like me. He came in in shorts and in high top yeah. tennis shoes. What was, un- the, what was the crime? Um, I think he uh, I think he was calling drugs. Like he was called drugs. Okay. Yeah. So, so by the river, himself. by the White River, with okay. drugs. By the way, I've decided he, this his quote, quote was: "All I was blanking doing was sitting and minding my own business by the blanking river, and this blanking pig came up and pinched me, or something like that." And I go, "Okay, I'm staying." <laughs> Did he throw your honor in there here. once or twice? No. <laughs> um, Jake, I've decided that this whole process you're having to go through through jury duty, where it's a phone call to yep. then potentially go in. This is the same just confusing process that should be set up for Kalamazoo for the worst four tournament. Yeah, it should be a, a call, call before a call in terms of if you make it <laughs> no, or not. The, those teams have to call the night before to find out if anybody else actually lost more games. <laughs> hey, does anybody need puppies? My mom has puppies to give away. My mom, apparently a dog from the woods, just popped out of the woods and gave birth to a litter of puppies like right on her yard. So here's the thing. Anybody need a puppy? Do we know the breed? But we have to. I think it is. Uh, I'll call it. I'm not sure. A border collie, like, esque. It's sounds, probably sounds like, like get, the way it happened. It's a border Pepper. crossing collie. If you, if you take the product, Dr Pepper, like these puppies are probably to a border collie, like Dr Thunder is to Dr right. Pepper. Here's the yeah. thing, though. You have to be careful in your handouts because there are people that will take puppies for very, very, very. Um, nefarious reasons inhumane reasons yes well we won't have any of that you get, my mom got, will kill somebody for that we got to screen so, it, right? I mean, literally kill somebody for okay. that so yeah. so how many did she say seven is she going to keep any of them i hope not <laughs> <laughs> i know are you keeping any i hope no there's no so, way i am so you're saying a dog a dog just wanders onto the property and pops out seven puppies and Ooh. she doesn't so it's a stray dog yes okay so she's taking care of the puppies. They're black and white. That's Border cool. collies. Who wants them? All seven. Let okay. me know. Uh, down there, I, I would think that people down there like to have dogs for because they have open land, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, and some act like that they, you know, are ones that are in the business and they're not. They're idiots. So a lot of idiots down there. Okay. Well, like the guy that represented himself in court, right? Yeah, I know. And I was just minding my own business by the river. <laughs> so tell me more, uh, buddy. We got tickets to give away for Little Feet and Los Lobos coming up at White River. Uh, that is in July. But if you would like them, Eddie, how would you like to give those away? Caller number? Uh, let's do four. Caller that's what don't number seem so excited the, about it. Number four, that's what the Pacers are going for tonight. Okay. And no Aaron Neesmith tonight, right? 
Correct. Okay, and uh, John, you will be talking about that. Yeah, we'll talk next, about right? this crackhead being like Tom Cruise <laughs> and a few good men. <laughs> you can't you handle need, the truth. You need me on this man. I can't spell you the truth. You want me on this man. You don't talk about the parties. Yeah. I can't spell the truth. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll be buddy. back at it. We'll see if I'm here tomorrow. I'll either be to see you guys. on go. a jury or I'll be here tomorrow. Go if it's fun. John's go. up next. Yeah.